0: I mean, I'm not racist. I had a black guy in my movie before, but, you know, he got but, murdered. But he- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, my name is Bobo Periwinkle the Bear. Oh.
1: into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On today's episode of Film Tank, we'll be discussing the new Alejandro González Anaruto film The Revenant, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy. A out, right, well, is a fucking shootout! If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail dot com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show, and you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, FilmTankShow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Tucson Egan, and myself, Alex Diegman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 47 of Film Tank. I am Alex Siegman and here with me, the usual two guys, Nick Cheney and Tucson Egan.
2: Hello. What was that? I was doing We're my- joined by the bear. I was... <laughs> Hello, my name is Bobo Periwinkle the bear. Oh, that was great. So are you saying you weren't impersonating the bear? No, I was actually
0: impersonating uh, uh when he's watching uh, Fitzgerald do some weird oh, bad shit. I
1: was going to say, actually, oh. what you sounded like was uh, Anthony Hopkins after he suffers a stroke in Legends of the Fall. So we were
2: all on the same page,
1: it seems. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. No discrepancy there.
1: Nope. No, absolutely not. Uh, if you were not able to tease out of that, and you didn't listen to the intro, we are talking about the Titanic. Leonardo DiCaprio film, Titanic, today. No, The, uh, the Revenant. Oh, thank God. Yeah, I watched the wrong movie. Fuck. Again. <laughs> with, with the Tom Hardy, fuck, fuck.
0: Guess which episode that was. Actually, it never happened.
1: Tom Hardy also in The Revenant and some other people as well and we will get into that in just a little bit. But first, one of our staple segments here on Film Tank is the Week in Review, which we do quite frequently and today is going to be no different. Uh, as let's do a Week in Review and who would like to start us off?
2: I will. Oh, I'll- Really taking the bullet what there. thank you, going, Nick. I do what I can. Well, I watched two things. Well, I watched more than two things, but I'm only going to talk about two things. Uh, one of them I watched, I watched just last night. Um, I watched the movie Copland from <laughs> from the 90s. Uh, it stars uh, Sylvester Stallone, Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, pretty much your who's who of like machismo uh, cinematic giants from like the 70s and such. Um, And I, this was James Mangold's directorial debut, who has been a director that I've been paying more and more attention to lately, after this past, like, year or so, because I started to, like, connect the dots between his films, because I didn't realize it was one guy making all these different types of films, and he is just, like, the perfect, I want to say, like, B-movie maker, because, and I don't mean that as, like, an insult, like... Yeah, I, I I like his film. I don't love ev- any one of his films, but I don't really dislike any of them either and I love the fact that it's one guy making all these different kinds of films. I mean, Copland itself is a pretty st- you know straightforward cop drama but then he's also done walk the line biopic he's done identity which is a psychological thriller he's done 310 to yuma the western remake and even uh, the wolverine which is a movie i mentioned here on one of our top six lists when we did our top six superhero movies uh so i just love that this guy is just not uh staying place in one genre except when he makes the second wolverine movie <laughs> soon he'll, he'll be doing that but i, I watched his first movie and um I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was one of those like there's nothing particularly new, whatever about it, and um, it doesn't. It's not so much that it doesn't do anything. I don't know, but impress me. But I, it, it did nothing to deter me from liking it. You know, like the cast is obviously uniformly, I would say, great because when you have those kind of people in a room, it's you're gonna make something, you know, good. Um, also, I gotta say, I. <laughs> This, maybe this will be a little too high a praise, but I'm still kind of coming off of just having seen it yesterday. But this might be my favorite Sylvester Stallone performance. Uh, he just rolled in a Golden Globe a couple days ago. <laughs> he did, and uh, and for good reason, I think. Like even if it wasn't maybe my choice for best supporting role, like it's totally deserved as far as like he gave the character of Rocky Balboa. Like and that actually
1: was a little more depth than some of his earlier films. Oh, where yeah. he's just, mm-hmm. yes.
2: <laughs> and um, and so yeah, that's kind of actually why I really liked him in this movie, the uh, Copland, because he was playing very very against type where he actually plays a very shy and awkward person and not in the same way that like rocky is because rocky will still like basically knock you out the minute you mama know, you... said knock you wow <laughs> sure uh and so um but he'll like, in this movie, he he plays a character with a physical deformity. He's deaf in one ear, which kind of comes back uh, through and throughout the whole script, which I also kind of love uh, portrayals of uh, hearing loss and whatnot. Um, and just, like, there's so many times when, like, in any – if he, Sylvester Stallone, was in any other of one of his movies, like, it just, like, it would have stopped – like he would have finally like got the gun out and started cocking shotguns. But here he just <laughs> he, he plays this very put upon sheriff of a town who just just gets fucking like not pissed off but is just so exasperated by all the crime that's being happened and whatnot and uh I just I really enjoyed it. I feel like it might be one of those films that has gotten forgotten because of the fact that it, yeah, it's it is I would say aggressively mediocre, but aggressively forgetful. Yeah, but when you're watching it, I feel like if anybody rewatches it these days they'll kind of realize just how much better it is than some of the other like i would say mediocre direct that we get today because we don't have these kind of caliber of actors like yeah that okay. was 97 i think 97 mm-hmm. yeah okay
1: so it's it's gotten it's almost 20 years old now
2: so. yeah and a lot of great uh, character actors too like john spencer before he passed um michael Rappaport who is like really great in the role that he, because I don't think he's great in everything, but here he has to play the um, the very annoying and whiny like uh, nephew of the whatever. Anyway, it's just one of those movies that I was pleasantly surprised by, because it didn't have to necessarily uh, coast on its stars, and I don't think it necessarily did. I think it actually did tell a story that we've certainly seen uh, many times before, but um, not with this cast, and Uh, Also, just not with this kind of story. One thing I really did like before I move on is that um, I, I know that the director made this movie because he wanted to make a Western, but he knew that because he was a first time director, nobody would actually greenlight a Western, like a, you know, actual period piece Western, nor did he even trust himself to make a real Western, like, and make it good. So he basically said, How can I make a Western in today's world? Well, duh, I can make, like, a cop story because he, he came from New Jersey where the story takes place, and he kind of drew from that kind of real life influence of events and such. So it totally is a Western. I mean, you yeah, have the shy music kind of cowboy in Stallone who just walks around trying to preserve the peace anywhere he can so i I really really enjoyed it. I was kind of surprised by how much I enjoyed it right uh on. yeah, the other thing I watched, and I think we might some other people will watch it too, but I watched the Golden Globes. This past weekend, and I was just curious, did you guys, any of you, watch it? Tucson, you didn't watch it, did you? No, yeah. I was someplace else. I was going to say, you, you went You went on a trip. I did go on a trip. I'll <laughs> tell you about that trip on oh, my turn. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I know, Alex, you watched it. Cover to cover, baby. <laughs> so um, <laughs> did you, uh, I, I guess I can give my thoughts, but like, I, I thought it was actually one of the worst Golden Globe ceremonies in recent memory as far as like entertainment value, <laughs> because I I, I don't even hate Ricky Gervais or anything like that, like some people do, but this is definitely starting to wear thin, and some of the jokes were certainly uh, uh, not needed. Was it, it his lowest trans, moment? Transphobic. And...
1: Yeah, it had it had the earmarks of going through the motions, which yeah. is never good for anybody doing anything, especially hosting a an award show, which, not that it shouldn't be, because there's obviously things that people have to do every year. But it it really felt like it wasn't someone having one chance and giving it their all. It was Ricky Gervais. And some of his stuff was funny um, and very timely. Like I thought his comment about Sean Penn and – (laughs)
2: <laughs> that was actually pretty good, and that, that was a good yes. That like
1: opened the episode or opened the uh, the
2: ceremony too, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Right out of the gate, yes, yeah. nice. I know, and I like that. I like to jab at the the Seam brothers. Uh, yeah. There were certainly some great jokes, I agree, but it was just so padded with jokes that were I thought just unfunny in general, or B. Needlessly on PC, like it just felt like he always said it so that way he could do his whole, like, well, well I, I said it, can't get mad at me. like spe-
1: <laughs> Speaking of on PC, this was by far, at least from my memory, the most they've had to dump audio from an awards ceremony. Yes, because there were nine times that the
2: audio was dumped from yes. that ceremony, and it was really actually kind of annoying. It was because at that point, I mean. NBC keeps priding on the fact that like, hey, NBC has like nothing else to offer. So I I still don't know why, I still don't know why that they're so like. I don't
1: that know. was that I thought that was actually his best joke. That was a very Craig Ferguson joke of Ricky Gervais. That the oh, only yeah. reason he was invited to NBC because they had nobody nominated, so
2: he couldn't make fun of any of their shows. How yeah. much
0: better of a comedian that is of you?
1: Yeah,
2: and the um the the one thing I'll say is that um I forgot what we were talking about the uh that they had the audio dumped out a bunch of times yeah yes that was happening so many times and a lot of times it was like the the speeches which uh but here's the thing it's like if NBC really keeps for the past five years especially since they picked up ricky gervais to do it every year they always pride it on like this is the most outrageous award ceremony because this is the one where they serve alcohol where they don't at the other ones and it's like um, if that's the case, then why, Why? I mean, I don't know, I guess it's 2016, and I don't know why we're still bleeping out. Like, say it's live, say that language, and of course, if somebody says, like, cunt or something, then yeah, maybe. Which Amy Schumer did. Right, okay. So. But I'm saying a lot of other of the things I feel like were needlessly bleeped out because we should just be able to slap a rating on it. and Who say, said that? Amy Schumer. <clears throat> Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, um, she said that, uh, and I know I found out what um, what Ricky Gervais said about Gibson, yeah. which was something about his line to a police officer that really happened about like sugar tits. And yeah, he so he asked him what the fuck does sugar tits yeah. mean, which I I don't know why you'd even ask that like that was just anyway That's just something the- you asked like.
0: Amidst the din of, like, parties.
2: No, because what happened was... Yeah, they they were getting into, like, a little spat.
1: Ricky Gervais was talking shit about Mel Gibson. Of course he was. And then Mel Gibson comes out, and Ricky Gervais, before Mel Gibson arrives, leaves the stage... And Mel Gibson, I don't remember what he said, but actually said something that was somewhat funny and witty.
2: Said so something about being full of shit or something Right, like
1: and was, yeah. so you're thinking, oh, you know, Ricky didn't really get the last laugh, oh, and he's gone. each other. So he comes back then yeah. on stage and walks up and has to say something to him. I will him. admit,
2: I was almost ready to accept it when he just came... To stand behind him because yeah. I thought that was childish, whatever. But then he comes up to him and like is like almost hugging him while he's like, "By the way, what does this yeah. mean?" Whatever. Then it just got really awkward because <laughs> then it's it's like two egocentrics not letting the other one just shut the fuck up. What and, a child. Yeah. Well, both of them. And so yeah, there was there was way too many moments when it was bleeped out. And, can I can I say? Yeah. Um, and you know the
1: speeches were well oddly cut off really quickly, especially the late. And I know they're on time constraints, but you know what, man people want to listen to Leonardo DiCaprio's speech and they really uh, uh, okay <laughs> if you if you are somebody watching this this ceremony and you yeah. you've dedicated 3 hours and 10 minutes to it i know you, i'm making a joke you you care more about what he's saying than what the best supporting actor in a made-for-TV movie has to say. Not that it's not less important, but when that person, because it's earlier on, gets their full allotment, and Leonardo is well, getting cut off after 20 seconds. Yes and no.
2: I'll say this much, which is I, I thought that that whole, like, I don't know, changing dynamic of how long people get was actually inconsistent, and not just in the way that, like, it got, like, the closer to the end of the night than the shorter it got, but also I was seeing them, by the end of the night, give longer like they they didn't start the music as early on mm-hmm. certain actors over other whatever like if somebody was just the uh I forget. That's the problem with the Golden Globes, and I forget exactly what you've just well, seen. Because...
1: Yeah. It, 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 the other part of that, the other shoe of that, though, is it's not like the Oscars where they start the music and then after five seconds of that, they make them go away. Right. right like, right. they had no control over Ridley Scott, who was talking for another, like, two minutes after the music started and said, I don't oh, care yeah. what
0: you say, you bitches.
2: I'm going to keep talking. I don't really
0: give a shit. I'm going to make another shitty sci fi film.
2: Yeah. Well, Whoa. you didn't like The Martian?
0: You, you already know my feelings on The Martian. Check out check back at our episode of The Martian to hear back my feelings on The Martian.
2: But I, I guess I forgot about your but the
1: one, exactly, I, I will say the one standout moment of the night was the <clears throat> film montage dedicated to Denzel Washington, which I thought was
2: that fabulous. That was a great montage. I will say, though, his speech... Not good. And I feel bad for him because I feel like it was kind of more of just an awkward, like whatever, but also, like, you know you're getting that award, so it's like you should have had, like, out of every speech... Yeah, like, well, it just. It, the thing is, he got up to the to the stage, and then he forgot his glasses, and then he brought his entire family on, and then he was like, Here, honey, read my speech that I wrote. And she's like, I forgot my glasses. And then he's just kind of like laughing about it, but he still hasn't really started any speech. And then he kind of just ended it by saying, Well, thank you very much, you guys. And, it was just so weirdly passive for such, I think, a pretty big honor. Y- like. You know what, too? It, and this is
1: more for the Golden Globes <laughs> than the Screen Actors Guild or the Oscars, where a lot of awards have a favorite and the favorite usually ends up winning. The Golden Globes is—it's like the fucking Wild West. Like, if you are nominated, there's a chance you are going to actually win. Yeah. And there were so many people who were like, "Oh, I actually didn't think I was going to win, so I didn't write a speech." Like, fuck you, Aaron Sorkin.
2: You <laughs> knew you had. A good no, he, to he win. just said that. He's—he's he's a speech writer. Of course, he wrote one. Um, but he—he did, he didn't read anything. He just he—he he was actually awkward when he was talking. So well, was he's Kate an awkward Winslet too. He's an awkward person. But really quickly, going back to Denzel for one second, but like, just to <laughs> even like compare it, like. Tom Hanks gave a extremely fucking classy and elegant warm up speech with a fucking cold. I yeah. mean, you know, like just I'm just saying, like he had everything against him, and yet his still came off as whatever. What's everybody else's excuse? And then right, and, and then Denzel gets up there and like I can't read. <laughs> I'm old. Uh, I'm Malcolm X. Peace out. Uh, it's just <laughs> I. I just, it was just so weird. I, I just thought it was kind of a <laughs> accidental fu to the to the award itself because it just seemed like he didn't really care. Uh, which on yeah. a night like that, like I'm sorry, but like I, these people should be way more appreciative than some of them acted because uh, you know we're, they're essentially dining, being awarded, whatever, all on our dime. I mean, that's what happens when we go see these movies. Of if the we... <laughs>
0: 365 days to not give a fuck, this is probably one of the five in their career yeah. path that they should probably
1: maybe give exactly. half of a portion of a fuck just at least try and yeah. uh and then, well, yeah there just, were there were people who seemed genuinely oh, appreciative like oscar isaac and his yeah. acceptance speech
2: seemed appreciative yeah. yeah no I, i'm not saying everybody was like that or anything like that yeah. i'm just saying there there were weird moments of like like i don't really want to be here and not just ricky gervais's stupid shtick.
1: The, uh, the girl who I – wasn't quite like Cuba Gooding Jr., but I was – I didn't know who this person was. I've never heard of her show, but I thought she gave a genuinely excited and enjoyable speech. Was Taraji
2: the, P. Henderson.
1: No. Uh, the girl from uh, My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Who oh, yeah. Won. Rachel Bloom, yeah. And I thought she actually gave a good speech and was like genuinely – Yeah
2: interested and excited that she won. Yeah, I was just saying, she was one of the only person that said, and I would totally believe that, that said, I didn't think I'd be up here today, because her show is uh, it's currently airing on the CW right now. It's an hour-long comedy musical, and not just in the way Glee was a musical, but like an actual character sing about, you know, their feelings and that kind of thing. How,
1: uh, how did you feel about Lady Gaga's speech? Because I felt like it was a little bit manufactured. Yeah, that
2: was like, I know she was like overwhelmed with emotion, but it's like like, yeah, you should be overwhelmed because there's no fucking way you should have won, but... Uh, Damn! I, I'm sorry, but no. Nobody from American Horror Story should ever win. It's just... You no know, um,
0: Jessica Lange deserved... Yeah? Yeah, she deserved it. Okay, dessert. I'll
2: admit right here, I've never actually seen an, entire, an episode of American Look, Horror Story. Look, all the... But I just can't believe that somebody won with Ryan all the actors on this show, season, she deserves it. Oh, well, could be, but Lady Gaga, I from what I've seen in like, clips and such, I... I I just I'm so over it. it. Yeah. I'm so fucking over it. But that but show. her
1: speech was yeah. like she was like having this like very like tried to be heartfelt speech. Yeah. Like it was almost like Reese Witherspoon the year that she won, but it was it felt so fake. Yeah. And and she also produced I thought the most enjoyable part of the night when she bumped into Leonardo DiCaprio walking up to the stage and he shot like the most like look Yeah, at, that was Buh! really weird. Like um, like
2: Hank Hill from Hank... King of the Hill yeah. He didn't oh, want to be exactly. touched by Lady Gaga which was really weird to see. Um, but but he, like he didn't know he
1: was necessarily on camera so it was right. a very genuine moment. Yeah. It was great. That's what?
0: actually like the second time I've seen like a celebrity react to Lady Gaga that way like a couple of years ago I think when she was still like doing pop music like m M&M m was like presenting one of the awards and she came on 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 stage in this this red dress that covered her entire face and had a crown. She looked like a monster from Silent Hill. And he was like, dude, what the fuck is going well, I mean, on? No, it, she, she,
1: she I shouldn't looked, have taken that
2: ambient before I got on stage. She, she looked, I mean... Here, she was in her regular yeah. state as far as, like, she was just in a dress and, you know, whatever. This isn't even my final form. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Leo was not having that. Um, I gotta say, the, the thing I liked about the ceremony itself, uh, watching it this year, was... I love the choices for TV. Most of the, I mean, most I know I just, yeah, they seem on. to really,
1: I mean, they always like a lot of new, new shows. Which so I they, think is,
2: even if they're not the most deserving, I think that's actually great because some of these shows, like Crazy Ex Girlfriend, Mr. Robot, uh, that were winning. Mr. Robot was one? Yeah. Dude, Mr. Ro- yeah.
1: Mr. Robot won best television program. Fuck yeah, Robot. it did. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, Oh wait, do they do drama comedy? I think so. Yeah, they do. It, yeah, uh, but yeah, like Mister Robot, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, Show Me a Hero got recognized. Uh, just I just think these shows do need the notoriety because a lot of people don't realize that, like Mister Robot uh, airs on USA and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend airs on the CW and that kind of stuff. Just like, came out on Blu-ray. Yeah, yep. it did today actually mm-hmm. as of the day we are recording this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'm just I'm just glad to see all those kind of new and I thought all the film was like the the either the safest choice or the wrong choice uh <laughs> uh yeah yeah i, I don't okay. give a shit about anything your read to ssa well
1: uh, I'll, I'll say this <laughs> nice little preview of our uh well yeah our upcoming of, attractions some some of us well we're gonna have a very interesting episode today i will we'll see I'm, I'm
2: not sure we'll see Maybe. i might just fall asleep halfway through oh, just like when i was watching the revenue oh,
1: you, you have no chill
2: sir Son of a
1: bitch! Um, I will say this: I was not Note Show. I was not surprised with anything that happened in the film, uh, especially looking at some of the nominations for some of the awards, and also too, um, the best dramatic film almost almost always the Golden Globes go to something that will not be what well, wins it, like Babble. One best dramatic film. Yeah, they just love that E.D. Ritu. I they? guess so. <laughs> they 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 he, they're a fan of him. Obviously, the Ford Press. Yeah. Well, I was not surprised at all the fact that the Revenant. Not not that I wasn't
2: surprised at all either.
1: Because in we have different opinions on right. it. Because I very much enjoy the Revenant, and you'll we'll talk more about that yeah. later. But at the same time, though it's not going to be winning best picture at the Oscars or anything like that. I would almost, I don't think so.
2: Uh, here's the thing. I wasn't, I wasn't surprised at it winning. I I only get surprised. Or the only time I'm ever in suspense is until it wins its first award. Like once it starts, then I can always tell, and I think you can't. Do, you know, like once it's gonna actually gain momentum. Because yeah, like, sometimes, like Carol didn't win a single thing. Like once it lost its first award, I kind of figured it wasn't gonna win a single award uh, ever since. The two films that
1: were the obvious that the that the awards liked were The Martian
2: and The Revenant. Yeah, one of the funniest movies of the year, and uh, The Revenant. <laughs> that was the, that was an ongoing joke that I, it was I would and not die about. I was going to say, and it's kind comedy. of funny because that joke itself is funny at first because it is like, why is this happening? And yet, the more you make jokes about how unfunny the Martian is, the more you remember that it's actually a pretty funny movie. Like, yeah. the more they try to hit that home, and Ricky Gervais uh, particularly, uh, the more it just made me re- remember like the all the funny jokes, and it's like, no, I sh- I it is stupid that they called it a comedy. Comedy, I still think that Ridley it's Scott, not Schindler's List or something. I mean, yeah,
0: Ridley was probably like line face, being like, "What the fuck?" Well, is he made his this? own comment when
2: he won it because he goes, "I don't really understand why I'm up here." Yeah. when he won for Best Comedy mm-hmm. Movie, but uh, that's probably famous. the only context in which you should probably continue to joke about it because after a while, that joke is just not funny. Yeah, and certainly not as funny as anything in The Martian. Yeah, <laughs>
1: and we'll see. The Oscar nominations will probably come out.
2: Quite possibly
1: before we release this episode because it's early Thursday morning, the fourteenth, uh, and I'm not really. I mean, there's always snubs and surprises, but I'm kind of expecting, like for Best Picture, like The Revenant, The Martian, I would say Carol, The Spotlight, this,
2: Inside Out. This year we can do. We can do still do ten, right? I think. I think so. This so last year, I or would that. assume that I would say we would probably get like eight or nine, probably not a full ten. And I would say that I would assume that they were they're going to be the same movies that were nominated, almost all the same. But yeah, yeah Carol, Mad Max, Fairy Road, maybe gets a nomination, not wins. But yeah, uh, and The Martian and The Revenant and uh, Spotlight. I don't think Inside Out would get Best Picture. I don't uh, know. We'll see.
1: We'll see. That's that's like a wild card for me. It I feel is. like it, it it'll have enough people that'll vote for it, yeah. but I'm it'll it'll either be the last one in or one of the first out. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean Maybe
2: Spy with Melissa McCarthy will be
1: uh... I don't think so. No, Not no, that, but... that I've heard that was like actually a good film. Actually it was decent and
2: it. It actually makes more sense than most of the movies in that category.
1: Speaking of Melissa McCarthy, that movie, The Boss, looks something really special. Let me That tell looks you awful. Special? I'm
2: kind of a Melissa McCarthy defender in the sense that I...
1: Not that one. I won't no, let you have it. No,
2: I don't want to. <laughs> I won't let you have it. I, I, I don't want to. I'll uh, let you have, like, Tammy <laughs> and... Uh, Tammy I actually watched the other day for the first time. How was, was that? It wasn't very good. But it wasn't like... Like, The Boss looks like it's awful. <laughs> um, I will say this for Melissa McCarthy... and. Uh, before we move on Um, as much as I hated that trailer of The Boss and I don't want to see that movie Mm -hmm. I am kind of glad to see that like she seems to like the role of Tammy is very different than the character she played in Spy and it looks like this is also a different now I'm not saying she doesn't have the same shtick as far as like there's a lot of physical comedy a lot of whatever but uh, it's way more varied than somebody who I think is even funnier and kind of could have did the same career if it had I mean, tragically been cut short, like Chris Farley, who kind of just played the same character over and over when it, and over. When you
1: are picking up and throwing a Girl Scout into a dumpster... Because you're, you're fighting an opposite...
2: I'm not defending the I don't, comedy. I
1: don't think so. You don't think what? Like, I, that movie. Oh, yeah, guy, no, no, no.
2: I'll, all I'm saying is, like, this is not the right script. However, I do like the fact that it, she seems to be trying, even though it doesn't, like, you know, like, yeah. I, I, it, what I'm trying to say is I'll, I'll still go see a different movie by her if, if it looks yeah. good. I'm not a huge fan of her, but I've liked like, her in Zach Galifianakis kind of kinda kept doing the same thing yeah. from movie to movie, or at least she, you know, seems to, she's trying to mix it up. Yeah. Okay. I think what she needs to happen really quick is I think she needs to cut ties—not marital ties, but cut ties with her husband because they're they're starting to make movies together. Like they, well, they've been doing a lot of projects together since they very first started, and I feel like that's what's dragging both of them down because I think they're both very funny people, but they, you know, it's kind of like when if your mom tells you you're special, it doesn't really mean shit. Like you need somebody else to like kind of edit your work type thing. I actually would agree with that because yeah. I know that. He directed Tammy, right? He directed Tammy, um, and then he's directing he's the boss, I believe. Yeah. yeah, and he's always in every single project of her. And yeah. I they do actually make a very funny team, like when they're on. Yeah, like bridesmaids was bridesmaids great. was great. Uh, he was also one of the best parts of Tammy when he played her boss and like just their bickering back and forth was great. But uh, uh, but yeah, like maybe they should like get other people to write their scripts and kind of take a breather on that anyway random tangent well that was a really good week in <laughs> review nick i i really liked that. <laughs>
1: well i opened it to everybody because of know. the golden Globe ceremony and tucson had no no that's why i chose it had... too because i'm like
2: oh tucson hasn't seen it so therefore me and al can just talk for <laughs> just kidding buddy. i didn't go
0: away listener i just merged into the shadows like the crow
2: <laughs> that's right
1: <laughs> Well, All right, Tucson. Tucson. When, yeah, yeah, we, we heard uh, whisperings of a trip for you, so yeah, let's hear a little bit about yeah. this. Yeah,
0: Nick mentioned that I went on a trip. And, See, I was setting you up. Oh, yeah, that was a long setup, man. You're like Ricky Gervais. Um, <laughs> uh, so I went on a long weekend trip to Disney World. That is not what I'm going to be talking about on my weekend review. Um, spoiler alert, it was fun. I went on Spaceship Earth. That is the best <laughs> ride ever. Yeah. Um, and I decided uh, in the early morning while everybody else was asleep to finally take the opportunity to watch a film that I've always been curious <laughs> about but I've kind of been wary of just because I've heard the, uh, the critical response to it. Um, so I finally decided to sit down and watch Escape from Tomorrow, the debut film from uh, – what is his name? Randy Moore and it stars Roy – Abramson and Elena Schuber, like two actors who are just like they're they're kind of like like third third tier actors. I don't mean that to be a condemnation of them. I was just like you know that's what they've starred in before, like things I've right. I've never like, they they heard. were
1: they were in a film that uh, shot footage like on the
2: DL at an amusement park.
0: Yes, they that's the entire. So that's the entire... There you go.
1: That's the entire.
0: You
2: can't literally be a working actor. <laughs> I'm just saying. Can you let me have my
0: in moment? This Please. Oh, anyway, damn. In. Ah. Okay. Anyway. I so, went to
2: Disney World too, by the shut way. Shut
0: the fuck up. Anyway. Um so I finally watched Escape from Tomorrow, and man, uh that movie is a bore. It is very hard to get through. Um actually, like twenty minutes into the film, I decided to just like stop and go back <laughs> and start a a timestamp review of all of my reactions to all of the moments in this movie, which was like an hour and 30 minutes. And it's like 25 something timestamps, just like me stopping and being like, okay, whatever. Um, yeah, the, I, I want to read off the the letterbox description of this film and then give you my description of this film, okay? Okay. The tagline is, bad things happen everywhere. Oh. In a world of fake castles and anthropomorphic rodents, an epic battle begins when an unemployed father's sanity is challenged by a chance encounter with two underage girls on holiday.
2: Oh. So
0: now, oh, like now I'm going to give you my description, okay? Okay. This is the story of an insufferable man who loses his job at, at on a vacation and then Decides to scuttle his entire family's vacation in order to perv on some fucking ingenues, and he's a fucking terrible human being.
2: That actually sounds like the National Lampoon Vacation movie. Is like, I hmm. have to say it. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. I, I I read the uh, I, I skimmed through the Wikipedia page saying like seeing that this film was actually featured um, in Roger Ebert's like annual film festival, and people were comparing it um, at least. Uh, content wise to the works of like David Lynch and um, what's his name Uh, Roman Polanski and I was just like I get I get the very surface skin, like you really. are just grazing the skin of this film, but really it has absolutely nothing to do. It comes what i 've just talked about, like him perving on on a genus. that 's pretty much the crux of this entire thing. It tries to be crass, it tries to be perverse. it tries to dig into the the contradictions and the bad things happen everywhere behind like the the facile like artificial happiness of Disney World. But it doesn't do any of that at all. It doesn't have anything to say other than look how we made this film in this theme park. Aren't we so brash?
2: It has nothing up to it. Can at I ask all. you a question about the movie because I've yes. seen it and I don't want to see it. So now I can ask you yeah. and not have don't to see watch it. it. Yeah. Um, at any point did the character walk past one of the Toy Story characters and say Andy's coming? Because apparently they have to like get down on the ground. And, that uh, is uh, actually
1: <gasps> God damn it! I no, wish I knew that.
2: Don't tell me it's not true.
1: No, it used to be true. In- they oh, stopped doing that. A few years maybe ago. because
2: of the movie. I okay. No,
1: I think too many people found out about it. Yeah. Mm. And uh, they had to stop doing
2: that. Well, and... I think that's ridiculous. Because I agree. What are we paying for if not uh, to make probably slave wages workers uh, get down on the ground? And
1: Speaking really quickly of Roman Polanski, there was a very low Roman Polanski joke by Ricky Gervais. Yeah. The, uh, that uh, was uh, like, Globes. what decade are we in? Mm. It seems like there's a Roman Polanski joke every year now though it is so. yeah it's yeah. true
2: he's like the safest target because he's never going to be at the ceremony no, I don't, <laughs>
0: oh it's
1: true don't ever come back to america or we will put you in jail yeah. there you go that's that's the spirit no but like i've i've like there have been there was a really bad one one year at jack nicholson's expense and he was there and he Yo, was yeah. not amused i remember that but this one was right up there i don't remember exactly what it was but it was not good
2: yeah i remember that there's a lot of uh not a lot, but there was more than one uh, Bill Cosby joke, too. Yeah. Um, which is
1: totally yep. fair. It's it's relevant, I guess, because yep. it's still kind of in the news. The best
2: version of that, though, and more case for why they need to get a new host was I thought Andy <laughs> Samberg's Bit. And I know you're not an Andy Sandberg fan, but his whole bit about how he thought he would be the last presenter, so he made up all the things that he thought yeah. would happen, including a special surprise appearance by Bill Cosby, <laughs> Bill Cosby it was yeah. just great. It was anyway, good. It was. It wasn't bad.
1: Sorry, Jason. <laughs> Go ahead.
0: Don't mind me just emerging from the shadows again like Nosferatu. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to talk about something I liked about this film, but it's okay. so hard to to really, Let it out. really do it. It's like the humor is so... It's so basic. It's so dumb. Eventually, there's a scene where um, Abramson's character, like the dad, um, he gets captured for some reason. And he ends up like in- captured by what? He gets captured by the evil that is Disney World. Oh. And he ends up. Is this like Dismaland? Oh, God. Is it worse? Is it worse than Dismal Dismaland? <laughs>
2: Oh my Ooh, God, that's oh like man. a
0: that's like a race to the bottom. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, so he ends up getting captured, and he ends up in this like underground like facility underneath the spaceship Earth like uh, ride, and he's basically captured by the Siemens Corporation, the people who actually like sponsor. No, no, that's not the end of the joke. Let me finish that. Let me Gross. let me let me extend to the end of that joke. Shoot. Okay, so he gets captured by the Siemens corporation and basically they have him like spinning around some machine they they artificially recreate his memories and other stuff like that he was supposed to give his child over to them because he was programmed to do it but it didn't happen and then and then he leaves him and it's basically like a james bond situation and he has like some type of topical cream like in his semen in his in his pocket so then he just starts to squirt it on himself and squirt it on the uh the uh the the restraints in order to like Like, just get out, right? And then he starts, like, squirting it from, like, waist level towards, like, a panel so that he can be let out of there. And I'm just like, this is so fucking stupid. (laughs) I really want to see this. so fucking stupid. Go ahead. Waste an hour and a half of your life. Whoa, don't
2: need to shout at me. I'm
0: sorry. It's just...
2: I didn't make this movie too soon. I
0: know you didn't make this movie. Nor did I
2: make you watch it. I know.
0: It's just, I, 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 I went to go see it because I thought... I I I watched it because I thought that this was the absolute perfect opportunity to watch it because then I'm able to actually like see the referent firsthand of like what they tried to do.
2: Was that your first time at Disney World? No, this oh, is my okay. second time. I was just curious. Yeah, it, oh, yeah, I haven't
0: gone there in like over 20 years. so yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a different experience being 25. And huh. it's just, it's it cool.
2: is. Yeah. It is a lot yeah. more things you can get arrested for.
1: <laughs> okay. Like, like being stolen by the Siemens Corporation. Yep. Yeah, and then some sort of. Tube that's squirting at a, a shield and some wrist restraint. Call it a
2: semen tube, because I'm guessing a tube <sighs> yeah. belongs to the semen corporation. I
1: thought when that film first came out that it actually, like, I was willing to give them credit for like yeah, trying cool. something kind of interesting. Oh no, I mean, that different. premise is
2: amazing, um, uh, but, but the, the execution. <laughs> the only thing not that
0: good. this film has in common with the work of David Lynch is that David Lynch's first film, Eraserhead, uh, takes place in black and white. That's all it is—a fucking filter. That's all it has in common. It has nothing comparable to the depth of Lynch's work. So, yeah. um, don't go see that. Okay. And that was my my weekend review because I didn't watch a lot because I went to Disney World and it was great.
1: That was a good part. Yeah. Glad to hear it. Thanks, man. So this week I saw a, well I saw quite a few films actually keeping up, keeping up the uh, tradition of watching film that's going to die off here pretty soon <laughs> probably after. Uh, Go to the Sundance Film Festival when me and Nick go in a couple weeks. After that, I'll probably take a little bit of a break from watching as many films. <laughs> He's just not going to be on the podcast for well, a while. I'm going to retire for a little bit. So Alex is
2: sleeping in the other <laughs> room.
1: I'll still watch the film and you know it's like a couple an of ASMR films here and there, video. But I've been averaging one a day, and that and those are just Whoa. numbers that are not going to uh, stay at where they are. Those are in a drop. The, uh, the two films I wanted to talk about, the first one is a film that Nick was very excited to see, so we finally made it to the theater to see it, and that was uh, the film Carol, oh, starring yeah. Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, directed by Todd Haynes, about an aspiring photographer developing an intimate relationship with uh, an older developing. woman. Yeah. <laughs> that was like, kind of funny. With an older woman. Um, this film has absolutely critical acclaim reviews. Uh, a lot of people have given this film... I think
2: it's like a 97 or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a really
1: high yeah. number, almost everywhere. Metacritic, yep. I think every reviewer gave it a positive rating. A lot of them gave it a perfect score. Yep. Uh, and I saw this, and I knew that I wasn't going to be a huge fan of this film. But I have to say, I was slightly disappointed because I felt <laughs> like this film was slightly underwhelming.
2: Yeah, I I would agree. That's coming from someone who is very excited to see it. And yeah. This is something that's right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, I uh I, I think I, I liked it slightly more than you. Yeah. Um and I I think I will admit that I am actually it's a movie that I still am to this day mulling over my head as far as what I thought about it, what I liked about it, what I might not have liked about it, whatever. So I'm still very much wanting to see it again, um to see, you know, if it grows, but I will say it was very underwhelming the first time I saw it. Uh but, but I enjoyed it too.
1: Yeah, I, I I hate to make it seem like I absolutely despised it. I gave it a three out of five. I thought it was a, for the most part, well-done film. Uh, I, I thought visually and in terms of set design and costume design, that was all wonderful in that time period which Todd Haynes which the only uh, work I'm really familiar with of him was uh, the uh, miniseries he did for HBO, Mildred Pierce, which I thought was fabulous. It's a
2: great miniseries.
1: It is. Yep. And this, uh, I really felt like production design uh, and costuming and kind of time period and in casting, I thought all that part was really well done in the film. Uh, but at some point, the, the narrative just just really did not give me what I was hoping it would. And I I feel like there's a lot more to this film than is just on the surface. But at the same time, I feel like it's hard for me to give a film a really good score if I cannot stay involved with it when I'm actually watching it.
2: Yeah, there's a very... uh, The one thing that like I didn't respond to was like it has a very cold and unfeeling exterior i think uh, both of the characters like actions and also just the way it's filmed uh, you you've heard me on this podcast say how much i'm a film nerd an actual like i am a de- devotee of celluloid itself <laughs> and um, this film was filmed in uh, 16 millimeter like that right there like i i don't want to say that i'm like you know uh, uh, i don't know like that i'll Forgive a film's sins just because of it, but like that's like you're already starting in the right direction, and yet that element I also didn't like about the movie because I didn't understand why it was shot in 16mm, especially when it was. I think at certain times, the, especially the digital projection of the 16 millimeter, was downright ugly at times. Yeah, the, the nighttime
1: the, scenes were not good. Yeah,
2: and there's those those are the scenes that are definitely going to suffer the worst because um, I think a lot of people think of film and like think that like scenes with like whites or something is going to look the worst. Cause that's when you can see the like the grain, but like that's actually that's supposed to be there. But <laughs> when you have nighttime scenes where you have a deep levels of black, that's you start getting this like. Blue hue to it uh that's artificial and shouldn't be there, but that 's because that's how it's being uh, uh it's, it's like it's what happens when you digitally project something as native as sixteen millimeter screen uh film uh but yeah that's I will say Todd Haynes has always had kind of a detached style, uh, but one movie where that works beautifully is uh, his movie from the '90s, Safe, with Julianne Moore. Cause that's about a woman who is increasingly detaching herself from the rest of the world because she's a, a hypochondriac and she starts to think that everything is sterile and or has like illness and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. but when you're when you're trying to sell me on that kind of style with a very supposedly passionate love story. Uh, the two of those don't really mix together. And uh, yeah, I was slightly disappointed. And yet um, the more I think about certain little scenes, uh, and some of the little moments, the more I do want to revisit it and just kind of pay attention more to those.
1: Yeah, and there are there are certain symbolism-y things that I thought were actually really good that I I teased out one of them that I sent to you, which you said you thought kind of maybe had something to it, yeah. which was the use of automobiles in the yeah. film. Uh, which, uh, I thought was always interesting as. Um, some people drive automobiles at certain times and other times they don't and the, I feel like it is very much involved with the characters' traits that are happening at that current time in their in their life in the story but there were other things uh, you had mentioned that uh, a theme that
2: people had talked about was uh, contact between people yeah the, um, for example uh, there's a scene that's actually repeated in the movie uh, you, it's the opening <laughs> scene of the film itself and then we see it again at the end of the movie which is one of uh, Carol and Therese uh Therese therese character uh like one of the final i don't know meetings of them in the movie which is them getting dinner at like a hotel or something Mm -hmm. like that um in that scene uh therese's old friend comes to say hi to her and he puts his hand on her shoulder when he says hello you know whatever and when carol gets up to lee she does i would say verbatim the exact same gesture and and Therese reacts completely differently to when she does it to when her friend, uh, her old ice, you know, whatever, uh, mate from her past. And it's just kind of like little things like that, that like little gestures, little physical contacts, little nonverbal glances are like repeated and yet have different context depending on who is like uh, doing it to who and whatnot. And I, I could totally appreciate that kind of level of like meticulousness. If the script definitely has that, however, I also think that 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 that's twofold because as great as that something like that is, um, that doesn't make the immediate movie any more satisfying. Um, like there, it has to be give and take, and if the movie is only reliant on that, then I guess I just that's not a movie for me. Yeah,
1: I I I enjoyed it and I appreciated it, and I am planning to see it again. Uh, But at the same time, uh, I thought the critical acclaim was a little, little
2: too high for me. I think this movie is the very definition or example of a movie that cannot sustain hype. Like, it's not because whether it's good or bad, but this kind of a story does not stand up to like other people's praise because it's such a personal story and such. Like, a lot of the people that I did read very high praise are part of the LG. Whatever the acronym, LGBT. Is. LGBT. I was gonna like switch letters around there, but L <laughs> G LG...
0: W W Y X X. Part of the B
2: L T G. Part of the LGBT Part community, of the BLT. and and you know we're able to connect with these characters and whatnot. And I'm not saying that that means that the movie is like narrow-minded or anything like that, but like that they have a different approach to it uh, than somebody like me. Uh, and Therefore, like I, I just need to watch it again and kind of maybe look for what they saw and whatnot. Yeah. So.
1: The other film that I wanted to talk about, which I very much enjoyed uh, the first time uh, going through, and I wish I would have seen this before, was uh, Ryan Kukler's first film, Fruitvale Station. Oh. That was amazing when we went to see it together, Nick.
2: Yeah, me and yeah. Just out when Altwin saw it before, uh, before we let Alex into our lives. <laughs> you guys are assholes. <laughs>
1: uh, I was a very big fan of this film. I wasn't really sure what to feel about it as I knew a little bit of the story behind it, but i knew I, nothing i
0: didn 't know it was based on a true story
1: i oh. I had kind of heard a little bit about it when I kind of looked into the movie and mm-hmm. then decided to watch it but i didn 't really know the particulars other than the grand grand scheme of things and right. the description of what it was the finale and i yeah well i 'll get to that but oh, okay. really what inspired this was um well, it was in my Netflix queue, which is the, the first thing that inspired it. But also, I, I enjoyed Creed, which Ryan Kugler directed. And it's really disappointing that he's probably not going to come back for the second uh, or the sequel to Creed because they're going to try to push it out. And... Gotta do that Marvel movie. I was going to say, he's already signed up for Black Panther. Look, though. that Marvel
0: movie. If, if there's anyone that I think... Could really make a good Black Panther film. I know that everything is going to go through the homogenized filter of the of the Disney Marvel like cinematic universe complex, whatever. I think that of all the films that are coming out, like Black Black Panther and Doctor Strange, are the ones that I'm really looking forward to as a as a superhero films.
1: Guardians of the Galaxy should give you give you hope that they're going to let them be a little more like they should please. be please yeah so anyways Fruitvale Station uh the the story was very interesting I thought uh there were a couple points when it was a little too a little too. Oh, that is going to come back later because that happens, and then oh, it, that happens because he's happens later in the story, and that it was a little too tied together too well for yeah, me.
2: At some point, for being based on a true story,
1: is like too referential. What
0: a premonition, like hidden, hidden away in like a very uh, throwaway comment.
1: Yeah. But uh, I think that is that. At the same time
2: though, I'm saying that but is someone who well if No no, I'm reminded sorry, but just to further explain what you're talking about of like the moment at the end of Spielberg's Lincoln as he goes to the play <laughs> just kinda like, Oh, it's like everybody's acting like they know he's gonna get shot, which makes it seem like a presidential conspiracy and not like a lot <laughs> like an actual depiction of events. I anyway. like Lincoln. I did too. I was just saying that moment, yeah, like, like when they're all like, "Goodbye, Mr. Lincoln."
0: <laughs> I mean, looking back on that, I can totally see where you're coming from. But like when I was actually in the theater with my friend, who's like a like a history buff, yeah. like he studied history, like I really didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know he was going to do. Know he was going to get shot. I knew he was going. I knew eventually he was going to get shot. But it's like I was such so, an optimist. I was so <laughs> I was so into it. Where I was just like, I turned to my friend. and was like, "Well, where is he going? He's going to see a play." I was like, "Damn, okay."
1: Huh? Yeah. But in, in in this film, I think that was a deterrent because if. I had not known what the outcome was going to be. <clears throat> I think I would have been... I would have liked those earlier scenes more because I wouldn't have thought, oh, that's what that's leading up to and whatever. That aside, though, uh, the f- the first two acts of the film I thought were genuinely really good and I was enjoying them. And then you get to the final uh, scene of the film or final act and final 15, 20 minutes and that was absolutely fabulous. Like, it was right up there with, like, turning up like stepping on the gas and turning it like zero to a hundred, like in a second, uh, just like a film that I genuinely ended up loving because of the final scene, which was United 93. I don't know if you guys have either of you have ever seen Still that. Haven't no. around to watching it. But that is like a, like heart pounding final 10 minutes that are like, Holy shit. Like this is unreal that I'm watching. Like, like actually edge of your seat watching that film. And that's how I felt at the end of Fruitvale station. I felt like it was very, interesting and also i was knowing the outcome i was like wanting there to be a different outcome right. almost to the story and i yeah. think that kind of goes with to to what the story was trying to say and also how well done of a film it is is that you are hoping for a different result than you know is going to happen and also chad michael murray is the guy who shoots him i mean come on i think <laughs> that's the the, about that. the crux
0: yeah. of of a good tragedy where we're able to know what's going to happen and yet we watch it happen all the the way and you could see all the ways that it could have all the different permeations of like little actions that could have resulted in a happier ending of somebody going home to their family but
2: it has to play out this way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not going to open up like a whole avenue of discussion. I was not as enamored by this movie yeah. as I think you two were. Um, I do like the final act for sure. I think it's superbly directed and the performances are great. But I yeah. had some pro- basic level problems with the script, uh, particularly the first two acts that I thought uh, went w- too far out of its way to uh, humanize somebody who didn't even need to be humanized in the first place because that's what I meant as far as like – like,
0: I don't know about that, Nick. I mean, he was—he was black. <laughs>
2: well, that, that's what I mean. Like it—it it almost comes off as like pandering to the white people it's
0: apologize. It's a, It's almost apologetic like, how much understand. they're trying to like he
2: was a real person he wasn't a gangbanger I'm and, sorry like,
0: do you have to make that appeal in order to humanize something exactly like that? yeah. and
2: that, that's what made me a little uncomfortable watching the movie is like I'm, only because it goes so far out of its way to do it there's a scene when he rescues a dying pit bull in the middle of the street and he or whatever dog and, and he's carrying it and it's like we're lingering on that because he loves animals you guys and black <laughs> like, people
0: have to go Above and beyond, in order to assert their humanity.
2: That's the thing. Is like if it was a white person that this had happened to, a wouldn't have happened. But b, um, if it, you know, like we wouldn't have to like sit through. Uh, an hour of just developing a character just for the sake of it, I think that they were trying to play it safe and make sure that everybody was on board uh, for the ending. Um, if it was
0: a white guy, it would, you'd be watching and be like, who the fuck is this sugar-coated buttercup bitch?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I would just been way more in- invested in it. maybe even a shorter film and uh, just totally invested in just the night of, like just show him out on New Year's Eve night. Uh, Walking around, whatever, maybe even experiencing more racism on the way, or something like that, uh and then just have this happen, and it shouldn't be it shouldn't play any differently because he didn't do anything to deserve what had happened, so it's like uh, so that was my big grievance. I thought it uh, there there was a better movie to be made out of this event, so to speak, also okay.
0: listeners, I want to just shortly apologize for using the b word it was a lapse on my part oh. well, <laughs> yeah,. That's okay. good.
1: So yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just going yeah. to say, I I absolutely like that this was a very early on film. I mean, the first film for Ryan Kugler and he getting his like real chance to, to make a film and it was a Sundance film. And I like that they had the opportunity to actually film this at the Fruitvale station and yeah. at the exact exact like spot where the the shooting happened it was pretty yeah. pretty great that you and not that it's that it's good that that happened there but the authenticity of mm-hmm. seeing
2: like that action happen exactly especially the exact when it, it juxtaposes with the real cell phone footage uh mm-hmm. you know where we don't have to like mm-hmm. play like oh now they're on a sound stage or something like that well
1: i liked the interview that i read with uh ryan kugler talking about how he was like, firmly against showing the actual footage in the film and then Eventually, like towards the end, he decided that they had to put it in there for people to to see this and and yeah. think, oh, this is a real.
2: And that's another thing that like uh, I wouldn't necessarily chastise them for doing it, but that that's where it just feels like every decision is made with the forethought of like, will white people buy into this, like, or will they just think like, oh, that's not how it really happened, and like, if you have to be told that, then this movie shouldn't be. You sh- you don't deserve this movie to begin with because like it's high five me yeah
1: all right well i'll let you Uh, know i i still really enjoyed this film even with the the parts in it that were. i will say i do like
2: cougar's direction like i think he's talented it's just the script itself that's all uh
1: yeah speaking of him and and this is our last mention of the golden globes but uh sylvester stallone not mentioning him in his speech was kind of lowbrow
2: that was weird (laughs) uh that him and i thought michael Michael B. b jordan like yeah here we have a uh I don't want to get into a race thing but it's, it's a my little... property
0: I mean I'm not racist I had a black guy in my movie before but you know he got but, murdered but yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: by another by a Russian guy that anyway. seems to happen a lot in my movies. But, but, yeah but he it, mentioned like 60 different exactly <laughs> like he is it's, it's like the scene in ocean 12 when um the shade when is Terry real. benedict shows up at the, the two brothers Virgil and whatnot and Church, one of them yeah, yeah one of them's giving his like uh, speech for his wedding and he's giving. <laughs> every single person on the table except for Turk. I know it's a, anyway, <laughs> random connection I know, but um <laughs> Now I was just thinking about Ocean 12, and I love that movie. Um,
1: <laughs> That's a good reference, because uh, they are going to have their
2: honeymoon at Epcot center. <laughs> <laughs> See, it all ties together. Sick references, bro. <laughs> Your references are out of control. Out of control. Um, but and not only that, but then he seems like he's only thanking the people that made the original Rocky, which like is totally <laughs> fine to think. but it's kind of like, does he have Alzheimer's? Does he not realize that he just made a new one, and that we just gave it to him for like that performance? Didn't and, we
1: give you an award for the first one,
2: though? Yeah, well, one best picture uh, at the Oscars. Well, that
1: was that was part of it that he was talking about how he had the right. first time he was there it was in the 1970s when right. the original Rocky was out. Yeah, it was just so bizarre. It was it was if he hadn't mentioned anybody, yeah. I would have been able to give it a more of a pass, yeah. but he mentioned so many people and like out of his way, did not mention both of them, and it was really awkward. I thought. I mean,
2: Michael B. Jordan was giving him like a standing ovation, like, yeah. as, like when not everybody else was, um, or something. No, actually, was he one of the ones that got a standing ovation? I couldn't. Like, I know. Yeah, it was I think the, he did. The, the,
1: the two major ones were Sylvester Stallone and Leonardo DiCaprio. That's right.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, but like just like to cut to him, like you know, cheering on it, whatever. It's just, I just can't believe that like this, you know, these two very talented individuals, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Ryan Coogler. You know, letting Rocky, so to speak, emerge again from uh, this new generation, uh, give him a pretty graceful not send off because I'm thinking he's going to be in the next one, but yeah. um, like you know, culmination of his career, like does way more justice to the character of Rocky Balboa than any of his five films did or six, <laughs> six. films. Yeah. Um So yeah, that that was a bizarre omission. Yeah, I yeah, I'm not so <laughs> sure about that one. Yeah. I want to offer a correction on something that I said in the last episode. Oh, okay. Because if I ever remember that I said something wrong, I like to try to point it out. I made one comment about The Hateful Eight that is actually factually wrong. Oh, I'd like to shine light on that so you all can make fun of me. Um, John Ruth's character absolutely says the N-word quite a few times (laughs) um, because I rewatched The Hateful Eight for a third time this weekend. Mm -hmm. Love it. Um, But, uh, I mean, I still stand by me saying that I think it's, Purposefully used because he uses it only a handful of times compared to some of the other characters, use it a lot more. But he definitely does use it when I had originally said that he doesn't use it at all. So, no. I just want to make sure people don't think that I'm just like not you know what? noticing the n word <laughs> when it is being used. But no, that's thanks, that, buddy. That, that's
1: good that you. Br- I, yeah. I'd shudder to think things that I've said on this episode and then go back
2: and watch the movies later and be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. say, it's just like if I remember, and I remember this one because I yeah. just saw it two days ago again. Huh. So, yeah. anyway. right on, man. All right. Well, now
1: uh, moving on to the main film we're going to be reviewing on this episode, which is the new Alejandro González Iñárritu film.
2: Iñárritu. two. And it's got the, you know, tilde. So I
1: couldn't even say the name in the last episode, so I'll, I'll give myself a pat there on the go. back for trying. There you go. Uh, His new film, The Revenant, which will be the last 2015 film we'll be reviewing uh, this year, at least in terms of new films. We may review a 2015 film again at some point, but at least in terms of in the theater new films, this will be the last one we're doing for this year. Uh, the film stars Leonardo DiCaprio as Hugh Glass, also Tom Hardy, Will Poulter, and Dom Hall Gleason are here in this film. The stealth bomber of supporting a- <laughs> yeah. le- actors right like actors, right? now. been a big year for Dom Hall Gleason. Yeah. What a guy! This Ex Machina, Star Wars, and he's got red hair too. I'm just like, and what was the other one? I'm trying to think uh,
2: of. Would you say? Oh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. That was the other the one. Film he was which in. is critical, darling. Mm. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, This film, The Revenant, though, is about a frontiersman on a fur trading expedition in the 1820s as he fights for survival after being mauled by a bear and left for dead by members of his own hunting team.
0: The only safe thing to do is track a new course back up online. Then what we gonna do, sit out there like a bunch of goddamn ducks? You
1: and your half-free son, get to walk on out? I'm talking to you. My son. It's the proper thing to do would be to finish him off quick.
2: He's to be cared for as long as necessary. I understand. Get away! Help! What happened? We did what we had to do. He was very right. All I had was my boy. And he took him from me. You understand? He's afraid. He knows how far I came to find him.
1: So who wants to start off here, guys? I <laughs> uh, who who uh, Tousant? I say we let's do Tucson. Do you want oh, me okay. to start,
2: and then we'll, we'll go around like that way. So we'll do Tucson. Yeah, which which way? I'm pointing. clockwise, which would mean that it would go Tucson, Alex, and then Nick um, wants to go Excellent. last. Thank you. Okay. I think okay. I should. Yeah. yeah. But I don't. I don't know. Oh, do you want
1: me to? Go <laughs> ahead? Well, let's let's do Tucson, we'll do and Tousant and then me. Okay. Okay.
0: Oh, thank you so much, guys. Um. I want to preface this with kind of like a framing device story. It's like it's going to be a real short one, okay? Yeah. So when I was in, when I was in middle, you school, sure you don't want to go first. Shut the <laughs> fuck up, God. Anyway, Jesus. When I was in junior high. I was in a history class. I can't even remember who the history professor was. No um, one's gonna care. So. Okay, we were we were watching this 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 movie. It might have been like a. It, it was some type of historical drama that basically showed like Union officers like fighting against uh, Pawnee Indians or like Sioux Indians or whatever that was, right? And we actually saw somebody like on screen being like being being like like. Scout, right? Yeah. And as junior high kids, we weren't really used to. There's different ways that people react to visceral content, especially in motion pictures. And for us, our selective, like, communal response was to laugh, kind of like to diffuse the gravity and the horror of what we were witnessing ahead right. of us. And by the time that we were en- ending with that clip, the professor decided to, the teacher, whatever, decided to end the segment a little bit earlier. And decided to take 10 minutes out of the end of our segment in order to pretty much lecture us on the merit of, of empathy and why the hell we were laughing at something that was just – it was so horrifying, so gripping for this man to witness these kids who were so callous towards the horror that one person was afflicting on another. And I think he may have been a little too heavy-handed on it. Anyway, <laughs> the way that I'm roping into this is that this film reminded me of – that feeling only. you were cracking up. I wasn't cracking up at. I was cracking up at certain points, maybe unintentionally. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, it reminded me of the viscerality of watching that for the first time.
2: And there's a scalping.
0: Yes, there is a scalping, and there's also somebody who was half scalped, and then they yeah. get scalped like at the end. I'm not like,
2: gonna do you. <laughs> was?
0: Scalp. There it is. Scalp. There it is. Um. I, I, just, I just want to get this out of the way. Emmanuel Lubinsky, who is the cinematographer for this film, okay? He's worked on Children of Men. He's worked on Gravity. He's worked on Birdman. And he's worked on this film.
2: Tree of Life. Tree of Life, yeah. Well, he, yeah, he's,
0: he's, he's a well-seasoned uh, cinematographer who's worked on a lot of my favorite films. Um, I am so fucking tired to death with these fucking long takes in The Revenant. I'm sorry. I think that it worked effectively in the case of, like, Birdman, his preceding film that he worked with in Iñárritu, because, like, I feel like that used in that context was sort of like a merging device of, like, being parallel to how an actor's personal and professional life are almost inseparable, like, constant performance all the time. In this case, I thought that it's in service of, like, really good cinema, like, really good, like, Establishing shots, yeah. in that I wish I'd, maybe I've been spoiled on Hateful Eight because I wished that the that the frame was was wider and <laughs> it lingered a little bit longer and a little bit farther away from the action and maybe like pulled in a little bit. But like I thought that the the first uh, action scene in the film where like uh, Hughes first like attack the t- first attack, so to, speak. Attack, yeah. so to speak, while they're being being a, being shot at and stuff, like I thought it was really interesting. Like harkening back to Hateful Eight, is like it kind of came off as staging like staging this 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 elaborate thing where everybody has like their different role yep. and it has to happen within the context of like what's going to be in the frame and what's not going to be in the frame i thought that like a lot of the action was cool but the way that i was actually watching it where it was just like panning to one action and panning to another action i felt like i felt like the camera work was
2: disingenuous
0: not not yeah. not even disingenuous maybe yeah I, I, w- I would echo that but at the same time I felt like the camera work was the thing at the forefront of my attention versus what was actually supposed to be happening on the fucking screen. And honestly, the the cinematography didn't start to work for me until the last third of this film where finally Hugh is rescued. Spoilers. We're doing spoilers, right? Yeah, of course. Hugh is rescued and he's sitting with Donald Gleason's character and they finally – Finally, decide to have a fucking conversation with some fucking match cuts, and we finally have some. There, there's a reason. Look, I get how long takes have kind of become this, 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 this zeitgeist movement. It's Become a shorthand it, for like cinematography. It, it's uh, been, it's been non-expert. a shorthand. <laughs> it's been a, a shorthand for for a claim for this like yeah. like like section of time for like filmgoers and stuff like that. I get it. I really love a great long establishing shot myself, but like. There's a reason. There's a fucking reason why when we 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 started making films collectively as a as a human race that we have something called the comp- the compression of space and fucking time, all right? I don't want it to see all this shit all the time. Um right. ed- editing is just as important as 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 what you decide to like put in the frame and I just thought it was it didn't work until the third act. Um also, another part is I think that let's talk about something nice about the film, okay? <laughs> Um, man, Leo gave one hell of a fucking performance. He tried so hard. I'm, I'm talking about, like, what was actually afflicted on him. Like, I enjoyed... Was well, it
2: afflicted? I thought he even asked for some of it. Like, I know, the, I know the, he, he... The liver thing. I thought yeah, that was his idea, right? Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah, it anyway. was there was,
0: like, a fake liver, and there was, like, okay. a real liver, and he decided to bite in the real liver, and he's like,
2: he actually... The fact that there is a real liver on set, just in case he makes that decision, kind of said that well,
0: in Well, Inuritu is, like, devoted to cinema verite which means truthful cinema so he's trying he's trying so hard to go for let me have my moment and then we'll go to you Okay. okay I'm sorry friend no continue it's okay I'm sorry friend okay
2: don't so, apologize to him.
1: All right. So, I do. I thought we were hey, in a conversation. when we, when but... we started this, you yeah. we were like, everyone should get their own chance to talk at yeah. the oh, beginning I, of the episode. So yeah. I, I didn't know that we didn't do cross talking. We anymore. can do cross. So sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry.
2: Continue. Okay.
0: Anyway, so I thought, we, we we can do cross. I thought that okay. that Leo gave it. like a pretty good f- performance on his part. I'm not really sure if I'm riding along with the hype, the hype train of him. It's like you should give him an Oscar because it's about time. But. I thought that like it it, it it was it was a good role for him it was it was it was the right right person to cast in that role and I thought that Tom Hardy was also the right person for this because he was just an insufferable ass like every single time I I saw him he always did some really bad shit for no reason like at first when he he was like you know what we should probably leave him and stuff it's like you know I, I can understand that from the the pr- prospect of like. Um, practicality or or just k- k- kind of like the pragmatism of of survival i I, un- I understand that but then he just like decided to he 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 was like man if you want to die if you want me to put you out of misery all you got to do is blink as if blinking is not an involuntary action you fuck god i hate him it's like look in in hateful eight um i hate i i'm sorry to constantly refer back to this because it's it it's it's the it's biggest like par- Chinatown. It's the no. It's the biggest parallel to me because, like, it's a film that I've just seen recently, and it also works on like focusing on the 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 American the
1: the, the American landscape, the outback, like that. And the, just a- the AV Club wrote a very lengthy review yeah. uh, comparing the Revenant and the Hateful Eight. Yeah. Just to let you know, I had to read that. Yeah, okay, it's, good. Um, it's out there for you. Yeah,
0: but it's it's just like in in Hateful Eight. Uh, Daisy Domergue or Daisy Domingue like I think maybe they mentioned what she had done once and I probably forgot about it by the end and I thought that you know she's probably just a bad chick and like I, I let's just say like to not spoil that and to let somebody else like go back and like listen to our Hateful Eight review I don't think that like for me, the gravity of what she had done had really come back to merit what had happened to her. At least for me in remembering like, what, what actually occurred that. But what Fitzgerald, what Tom Hardy's character does in this film, I was just like, I'm going to string that fucker up. It's going to happen. It's going to happen tonight. Um, but also, I think that the person who really gave the best performance was the bear, obviously. I think that, like honestly, when, when the Oscars happen, like they're going to have like, and now... The best actor goes to Boo Boo Fitzgerald the Bear. And he's like, oh, man, this is great. This is such an edifying experience for a thespian of, like, film. Also, stay out of my forest or I'll kill you. (laughs) Ho-ho! Okay. So, yeah. That was my takeaway from the film right now.
1: Gotcha.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, Nick... I, I don't know how I can follow that. I, um, First of all, Jonah Hill was the bear. Uh, they did a bit where Jonah Hill was the bear. It's I saw it, that. Going, okay. I Just,
0: thought that was a really, really <laughs> shitty snub of them. to Snub the bear. Well, it's not a you're, joke, man. You're, I know this I is his fucking work.
2: You, okay. Um, so I guess are we? Are you done, Tucson? <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> oh, shut up! up on, shut up! Come on! I've
1: already been. Oh my God! Come I'm So on. sorry. For no, jokes. I, I, I thought I was having fun with you too, bringing this <laughs> oh. thing up, and apparently everyone's taking it seriously. So,
2: so this is what happens when, when when we get a movie like this <laughs> that'll really rile us all up. Uh, I thought this boil movie... my blood. Can can Nick get a turn? Yeah. What the what? fuck, man? I'm sorry, man. I'm just kidding. I thought this movie was awful. Um, the more I think about it, the more I dislike it. Um, I think. Inurito. Inurito. Your, in your Inurito! Has. In your has uh, <laughs> are you <gonna> do that? <laughs> Has made a film that, like, basically makes me question whether I do like Birdman as much as I do.
0: I, I want to just yes. ask you this question. Okay. I'm sorry. Go um ahead. So, would you say that this is in- Inurito's uh, Only God Forgives to His Drive? Uh,
2: no, because. Because of the fact that Ritu has made many more films, and I haven't liked any of the ones I've seen besides these two, or anything mm-hmm. like, I feel like, because um, Nicholas Winning Reference only made two films, and those are the two films themselves. Um, I thought he did um, oh no. Yeah, he did Bronson, I forget, yeah, he did and he also did the Valhalla, <laughs> Valhalla Rising. Rising yeah. yeah, so anyway, I have no idea what I'm talking about there, but <laughs> no, I don't think it's so much of that, because I'm still very interested in whatever reference is next. Mm-hmm. 2 besides Birdman, I think, uh, I'm only going to talk about Birdman for this next minute, but I think it's important to keep it in context. Absolutely. I think the reason why I do like Birdman, because he's got the same traits of any other 2 production, is that there's way more emotional authenticity in a story about a director whining about the critics not liking him as much uh, than any of his other stories that he's uh, going to tell. Uh, the Revenant is a movie that I think is so concerned with the technical aspects of itself, that it forgets to tell a story that's even worth telling. Mm-hmm. Um, what you were saying earlier, Tucson, about the camera work, I actually completely agree. I even made a comment to Alex after we had saw it that... The, the 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 experience of watching that very first uh, siege or so uh uh you know the attack it um, feels very put upon it does and for me it was like the same experience as watching like a civil war in reenactment where it is so artificial and i'm so reminded that like i'm watching what i'm watching that i can't actually live in the moment even though that's exactly why he chose that camera movement because he pew, thought pew. yes you're dead now <laughs> A lot of sound effects over here, uh, and so when we um, when we take that kind of camera movement, where yes, like you were saying, like it, it just becomes so artificial by design because all I can think about is like so that actor had to be at that marker and that person had to that uh, that's all. I it, it only calls attention to itself mm-hmm. when it shouldn't be doing that because if you would truly achieve cinema verite, then you you wouldn't have such a uh, It it blows my mind that he calls this cinema verite because cinema verite is more like put a camera on a shoulder and just try to capture it as it happens and not actually block it out. Now, I'm not saying I would know how you would conduct a scene like this and – and call it cinema verite, where you just improv it. But that's just so this is so artificial and so pre-planned because it has to be uh, that y- y- you get nowhere close to cinema verite. Anyway, um, I also thought Lubezki's cinematography in general. While yes, uh, some of the shots were gorgeous, like the uh, the the embers of the fire going up to the tree line. That was one of my favorite shots. That was a great shot. Uh, like just taking out of contact. Like they, they they're great to look at. However, too many times do we cut to. Uh, a very wide shot of like the outside of like this forest or whatever uh <laughs> and for no real reason other than to i guess like do the whole juxtapose of, like man versus nature i mean i'm not entirely sure what any what, what this movie wants to say if it wants to say anything at all but I'm convinced that it does because it has uh, dream sequences that it that are so like a parody of Art House I mean we have a, a Hugh Glass's wife just rising uh, and levitating off the ground it's like a and,
0: parody of the Tree of Life
2: yes and um, and in fact that's actually there, there's scenes in the Tree of Life where you have Jessica Chastain's character like doing the same exact thing which is also weird because then it's like is Lubeski also like just repeating the same shots over mm-hmm. and over um his dream sequence with his son coming back to him was just like th- th- there are no characters here, so therefore I can't like get into like this internal psyche of these characters.
0: One thing that I did enjoy about this film, like just coming off on of, like the the second scene, like the follow up scene of the the attack, was that it actually showed from the perspective of the I think it was the Sioux tribe or it was the the Pawnee tribe. It was it was one of the the Indian tribes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Native American tribes um that were just after the attack and they were trying this guy was trying to find his daughter who had been kidnapped and taking the pelts and stuff and like trying to do all this other stuff and it just kind of shows like you know like even though they did this horrible shit and i can't really like like i i I can't condone that shit like i understand there are human beings and there's like a constant internal strife that's going on everything but like the the one scene where uh Pokwana, I think. Pokawa, Pokawa. Poca- that, that's oh, what it's yeah, like. Pawana, yeah, she right. was. Um, she was abducted um, by French settlers, and one of the characters decided to um, take her uh, for his own and rape her. And rape her. That's we, what. Yeah, that's what I meant. It's like I was using that. It I was is. using it as the euphemism. Um,
2: I have. Well, let's just make sure we all know what we're talking. I about. have
0: never been more. I have never been ashamed of my name, but the fact that I shared a name with this fucker made me want him to die so horribly. I'm glad that he did.
2: Um, yeah, I had a problem with that as well because that, for me, was like to. Carelessly throwing in a rape scene for two th- reasons, maybe um, one it's being that it's a, it's a plot device because she has to be separated from the camp in some way. But which is a horrible use of rape. Like yeah. you, you need to think about the implications. Of oh, these there kind are, of are
1: other implications to that. And if if we're talking about it purely as a plot device, there are other things to it, like the fact that the tribe that is searching for her is basically killing every single. White man in sight, yeah. and then at the end of the film, uh, Hugh Glass is spared because he's the one who saved her
2: from this tribe. Well, or whatever. So then, that makes her even less of a character, go, go and just a rape victim.
0: No, go, no I'm just saying. Like, I got I got two points on that. One towards your point, Alex. I think that when I read that scene, I was like, I was like, there's no way that they actually transpired. Like, had a conversation about Hugh in any any sort of way. I kind of like took that to be um, this attempt at kind of like trying to convey the portent of. Of what? What's the word that I'm looking for? It, it's like the the um, kind of the serendipity of 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 karmic actions. You know, that's kind of how I I interpret it. It's just like you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how your actions are going to return back to you. But like um, in in this way, it actually kind of like worked towards his benefit. And to your uh, point right now about the reduction of her character, I totally agree. It's it's definitely like it is a roundabout version of the 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 shoving somebody in the refrigerator trope. It's it's tol- it's totally that even though it's not working directly towards Hugh Glass's character, it's working towards like the other major characters right. that are on the outlying sides of it.
2: Yeah, and I and I don't think that this is a movie like something like the Hateful Eight that can truly explore something like misogyny or whatever no. that you can actually like attribute it to being like no this is like this is man versus nature It means that humans do evil things because that's the other thing and that was the only other reason I could possibly think that he made this a rape scene because it didn't have to she could have been taking a shit and <laughs> just, there are other ways where she could have gotten the, out of the camp
0: the, the only reason that the only reason for her physical abuse and her and her like her, her rape is to serve as a vehicle in order to bring like, the in the the Native Americans and Hugh Glass's character together.
1: Yeah, and... and well, th- I think there are other parts to that that are not just purely narrative structure-wise. Like, I think we have to at least somewhat go with the possibility that that scene was in there because Native American
2: women, if they were abducted, probably were just raped just for the hell of it. And, and if this movie had period. any interest in actually depicting uh, history, like in a educational way, then sure I'd go for that. But this is this is an art movie first and foremost. The camera work, the performances, this is all in service of Inuritu's vision of what art is and this art that is so self I I
0: half agree because it's most of all it's historical fiction. It's trying to tell a fictitious story, obviously, within a a factual context. Like kind of like a speculative like like story, right? And you're mm-hmm. trying to buffer it around like things that would plausibly exist within that frame. I was like I, I if they're going to have rape in this film, then it has to serve a purpose other than empowering and empowering the male figures and disempowering the female figures. Okay? Right, That's
2: not it's not even that I find it that offensive. It just I find it that careless that it kind of makes me worried about InuRitsu as a person who just doesn't even think about these things. And I think that's what I am I'm more I'm, I'm more uh, quote unquote offended by is that he just never seems to see the implication. And it's the same thing about a movie that I enjoy like Birdman. That's a movie that glorifies suicide in a way. Like that's a dangerous message uh, because Riggins uh, attempts suicide I think twice in the movie. Because mm-hmm. yeah, um, and it's almost like, like he talks about it actually a third time. Yeah. Right, but, but I'm just saying that's a like movie that almost says like yes if you if you give that much into all I'm just saying is like the I don't ending think he treats it rapturously yeah like it glorifies it in a way of like yes this is art so it doesn't matter about the real world implications How,
1: however and I, I'm just talking about this film because even though this is an art film as as you are describing yeah. accurately this is definitely a much more period specific film than Birdman which is kind of a modern day feel to it where this is a 1820s much different world than we live in in the modern society
2: absolutely but that doesn't mean that he has any less responsibility to at least think about some of the real world ramifications i mean the way we absorb art in today's world it doesn't matter if something did take place back then you know or right now like but still but, but showing messages are being said
1: that is true but showing something that would have been possibly a commonplace thing that happened during that time and using it as a, – I'm not even all the way disagreeing with you in terms of the scene and it being a little bit out of place because I do. But I think it accomplishes things for the story and it also I don't think is quite as egregious as you guys have made it seem like because I feel like that was a very – Thing that happened at that time, where and it also goes back to the story between the white man and the Inuit, is I, guess, I get that it yeah.
2: just stuck out to me the same way that one of the characters says the tree n word, which I thought was. Yeah, that kind of
0: that kind of came out of nowhere. I, yeah, I, I, I kind of made it. I was like, I did a double take, and I was like, did he really say that? Did like, he we'll, say that word? We'll,
2: we'll debate the marathon whether Tarantino uh, can use it as many times as he did, even if he's making a movie that mm. is actually about characters still uh, working through their feelings about the Civil War, and mm. yet, like InuRitu can throw in a rape, uh, can throw in the the, the term tree and word, um, and and because Iñárritu, uh is not, I would say is labeling with a stamp that Mm -hmm. says art on his film in a a way that tarantino never tries to like shove down i think people's throat like that's just what i that's what's off putting to me about some of in decisions is that like like, tarantino makes like high class lowbrow art right at least like that's a movie that i think is is distinctly nasty for a purpose now Mm -hmm. okay let's just go back to the revenant um If I could really quickly go through some more general feelings of an, I'll pass right back to you, Alex. Um, I, I would be okay with any of the things that I've so far said I didn't like if I thought this story had any merit and value. And I, I don't, I, this is, this is one of the, and this is a horrible criticism to use, but it's definitely true. So I don't want to like, like beat around the bush. I was fucking bored for two hours out of maybe this two and a half hour movie. Um, and in no way did those bumpers of the opening and the closing any justify me having to sit through it. Uh this is like the most pretentious episode uh version of Oregon Trail. Like I just it's uh god. And I don't understand because by the time we get to the end of this <laughs> Please somebody clarify the the message this movie wants to say. To say, I guess, about revenge because we have Leonardo DiCaprio's character meeting up with the person that rescued him, the uh, Native American, and he's the one who gives him the I think the original speech about how revenge is in God's hands, not yeah him. Or yeah, what? Okay. Well, it doesn't
1: meet up with the the one who rescued him? Yeah. Right. It's not the one who rescued okay, him. Okay, so who's the one who says it that? Uh, then? The guy who rescues him and says that line to him is Han by the tree. Uh, and is dead when right, he's right. captured. Yeah. I was just saying,
2: who's the one who... That's all like, yeah, He's the one who said it, but I thought right. you said he meets up with him. Okay, again. not that he meets up, but... Okay. okay. Sorry, if I said that, I messed up. But, okay, so he says... He yeah, gets rescued. He, he, he learns it from that guy. Like, yes. He, okay. So then, at the end of the movie... I, I don't quite understand. Like, this was literally a moment that, like, I, like, I, like, I wasn't gonna like the movie if it did something differently, but I would have understood it. But it's, it's like
0: your, 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 are you done? Moment. Yeah. yeah.
2: But all of a sudden, we get to the final confrontation uh, between him and Tom Hardy, which is a the only scene I purely liked. That the fight scene between.
0: Maybe you should have raised yeah. a man, that little bitch. And I was like, yeah. man, I'm gonna fucking guts you
2: yeah the fight scene between tom hardy and leo dicaprio is the only time and i was totally on board with the intensity that i think in your was trying to like the bear scene honestly didn't do that much for me like i'm not saying i was sitting there going this is stupid but um it was a little weird with such an emphasis on all natural lighting location whatever that we do get a cgi bear not because i would know any other way for them to film it Mm -hmm. but uh it like that's another reason why the camera work I think um, worked against it. But anyway, during the fight, I was totally on board. Like I, I love the ferocity of that. This kind of uh, something that was missing from the earlier action sequence, like this totally like improvised, seemingly uh, hand hand combat, hand hand no, combat, knives, no and yeah.
0: I really enjoyed um, the viscerality of when he re- when Leo just reactively grabbed his hatchet and like went through his fingers and actually yeah. cut cut off his fingers, and yeah. and he just and Fitzgerald just shrugs off like oh and, and, I, and I, in, the, in, in the theater I was just like yeah now
2: you can't go back to the army you fuck yes. god, god damn it go god, oh boy and so that scene um, leads to in my opinion the biggest what the fuck moment of the movie because then he's standing over uh Tom Hardy's character Mm -hmm. and he's about to kill him and then he repeats what he was taught which is that revenge is in God's hand which essentially means that he doesn't have the right to Mm. you know commit revenge which is okay like a lot of revenge movies have said that before but whatever Uh, so I'm just gonna float this body down to you guys and you guys kill him like the the, the one two punch of that of that climax is one of the weirdest muddled messages of cinema I've ever seen because I because he just like stared I was just waiting for like Leonardo to just kind of like give thumbs up and go yeah I, and then walk away like I don't know you see
1: I I guess I read that scene a lot differently than you did because I, I I'm feel saying like I can't get a read on did, it. Fitzgerald, did Fitzgerald
0: sell her Fitzgerald was the one who sold her, right? I don't
1: think so. Well, what the fuck was that then? Yeah, right? I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah, I was, I they, was, they just do not like the, the white man, so that's right. why they have, But But I, I, I guess I gave that final scene to um, – and it was not as good as, as this final scene was because this is one of my favorite final scenes and moments of any film I've ever seen, hmm. which is the end of Batman Begins uh, when they are on the runaway train and he basically tells uh, Liam Neeson's character, Batman does, that I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. Like, he's pushing him to his grave, but mm-hmm. he's not the one who's actually giving him his final breath. You know, breath. I'm just going to this happen. <laughs> well, yeah. like, like, him pushing, uh, him pushing uh, Fitzgerald down the river, it's not like he didn't know what was going
2: to happen. Like he's, he's no, he not, absolutely does. Right. I'm just saying that's why it's so weird. Like, he's like... I guess I just feel like Inyuritu doesn't see the hypocrisy of that moment because I mm-hmm. think he treats it as like this like weird m- man nature. I don't know. When, I, I, don't, I, when, I don't think this film actually knows what it wants to say, and that's why I just get so many confused signals. When,
0: when I saw that scene when he pushed him down the river and it like landed up in front of the the Native Americans I originally thought it would have been so much better if the Native Americans weren't even there like if it was like that that prior scene where you see like Hugh basically flopping around and in, in in the the lake and it's basically no not in the lake but in the river and it like goes to that like large establishing shot of like going over the cliff like you know what I'm gonna leave you to the elements you're not gonna survive this because you're a fucking coward like that would have been so much more gratifying to me to see him get just bashed against the rocks, and not just because I don't like him, but just because like you know what, Hugh could have handled that. Yeah. Hugh did handle that shit. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, I, I thought that the the ending ending shot where it just like lingered on uh, Hugh's face as he's looking at us, and you like hear his his breathing. Like when I when I got up and left the theater, like I overheard somebody's like, "Should we stay for the?" the after credits. I was like, the fuck you is there's after credits. You get the film that you paid for. Shut the fuck up. As if this film does not go on long enough.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't have, uh, and I'll get into this in a a little bit. I don't have nearly as many complaints as you guys do. Uh, It's okay. The, one of the, one complaint that I do have about this film uh is Leonardo looking into the camera at the end, yeah. which is very out of place and yeah. uh, well, I, I i I don't think I this, my old friend <laughs> I don't think I hate it as much as you do, Nick, but i I guess I felt like it doesn't really make sense.
2: I I feel this strongly as far as like when I say maybe I hate this moment or whatever because it's 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 one in a number of other things that all uh, work together to back up the self importance of this film that I just don't buy into and that also goes back to why we have the same fucking meteor from Birdman because I did look it up and like people are saying it's the exact same so yeah. it's like. Well, you know it's like oh yeah there was that yeah there. like <laughs> Inuritu thinking that you know these stories not even are connected or so but that his images are so evocative I guess it's like Cloud Atlas yeah uh, so anyway that, <laughs> but like that that everything's connected and all that uh, the, I think this moment actually had a real a, a honestly God moment of Leonardo DiCaprio actually hugging a tree at one point when he was trying to like stand up <laughs> so that was interesting um, so yeah those are my general thoughts obviously I did not like this movie I'll say one positive I liked Tom Hardy's performance which is also a lot for me because I don't know if I really talked about it on this podcast but I know both of you know I'm not really a fan of Tom Hardy uh, in general and I actually liked what he was doing here and I, th- um, there's somebody on Twitter um, that I can't remember who said it so I apologize that I'm not crediting it to the right person. You can credit them next week. But yeah, maybe if I find out. But somebody uh, described his performance as like the school or the the jock in the school play like, and I totally love that and I think that's why I liked it with that he was the only one who didn't take this as serious art as the rest of them and that's actually what added to the and naturalness and the intensity that I think Inuyasha thought he was going for, but unfortunately, it got completely covered and piled over uh, with all the artificial uh, technical brav- bravura. So, anyway, he just shot himself in the foot. Yeah. So those are my general thoughts. So, Alex, please, uh, okay, get um, away. So
1: I. Um a little bit differently than you guys, thought this film was an absolute masterpiece. Okay. (laughs) Um, When I, I I think I've made a mention of it a couple times that I, this was the film I was most looking forward to this year. I heard the premise and was absolutely enamored by the idea of, of uh, this, this man coming back, Uh, In this time period uh, and fighting back from a a bear attack and really having nothing else to to live on other than himself and and obviously get some help along the way. But uh, really, he's just like trying to survive in in this really, honestly, horrible time period for for humanity. I
0: have not seen somebody get so thoroughly fucked up by nature since I read Hatchet in fourth
1: grade. (laughs) Yeah, like, like th- good things do not happen to Hugh Glass in this film. He's, Bad things happen everywhere. Yes. Um, but what what I will say, though, is that I was enamored by the idea of, of the story and thought if this film was done really well, it would be really good, and that's why I, I think it was, and, and maybe that's part of it, is that I was really excited for this film, and it delivered to my expectations, which is maybe why I like it so much, mm-hmm. um, but... I obviously loved Birdman. I gave that a perfect score. I was a huge fan of it. We have a poster of it here. In we the... do. Yeah. And I love that more and more each time I, I had seen it. And I have seen this film twice now. And I liked it more the second time. And I thought I would actually like it less. But I ended up liking it So I was kind of surprised yeah. by. What, what, what I think I, I go to towards this film is that I always try to watch films and, and look for different aspects of the films. And, and put them all together where i have a I have a really hard time just thinking of the a film as it's as one entity like I feel like I have to think of all the different ingredients and do, did I like this part of it i did I like this part of it? It takes
0: a lot to make a stew
1: it does, <laughs> and I just have a hard time not separating things into different parts like if I really don 't like the score of a film, I have a hard time saying I really love the film like it has to all work together, and for me all of the elements in this film work together really well. Like the, uh, the cinematography I actually thought was some of Lubeski's best work. And I love the camera work in this film. I'm totally on the opposite end of you guys, because I love that first scene. I, I love the feeling of of kind of going through the the water, going under the the trees, and slowly kind of turning back and forth, then going up on the shoulders of Hugh Glass and his son as they are hunting the the moose in the first scene of the film.
0: The setting was picturesque.
1: Well, it was. And I I think a lot of the establishing shots and some of, of the decisions with that, I think if anyone says that they didn't at least think that they were pretty and enjoy them, I think they are kidding themselves because that's exactly what they were. And seeing these beautiful environments... Uh, and just great uh, twilight scenes and, and night scenes with with uh, with the flames going of either the fire or of torches. I mean that those kind of things were just beautiful for me. And I I guess I have a little bit of a soft spot in my heart for kind of old timey films. So hmm. that that happened in this time period. Yeah. So that's another reason why I love that. Uh, the the natural light aspect too was just great seeing that and not seeing any sort of fictitious light be brought to it and, and just seeing the rawness of, of the story when it comes to the actual narrative part. That's something that I thought I wasn't going to be able to enjoy with this film as much as I, I thought it was going to be very long and slow as a lot of people have thought it was, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like, it would be really hard for this film not to be, because I feel like it would almost cheapen the story of Hugh Glass if you took out 45 minutes of his struggle throughout the middle of the story. Because I feel like that would make an easy complaint for, well, this guy just got mauled by a bear and he's supposed to rally from this and like come back to life, like which is actually what the meaning of the word revenant is, is someone coming back from the dead for the most part. And
2: if this film was an hour and but he 40- wasn't
1: dead. Well, but it's... Just, he was it's buried spiritually. I'm just saying, like, yeah. it,
2: like, I was waiting for him to actually die. He's brought back from the cosmos. Because Death. they kind of, like, alluded to the trailer that he does, like... like but he was just buried alive. And he, but to... Somehow, no, yeah, wakes up. don't, don't be a stickler. To, 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 to these people...
1: Well, I think more what it means is, metaphorically, to these right, people right, who were in this this camp where they were, they were told dead. that he was dead, right, and they right. all believed 100% yeah. that he was dead, if and then they find him alive... I'm not saying that's a criticism. If you've
0: taken everything that this man has to live for, everything that he has to live for, is he really alive anymore?
1: Yeah. Well, and that's important to the finale of the film. Yeah. But when, when he struggles throughout the entire film, just trying to figure out a way to live through this and recover with all of his injuries, I think that's what really makes this film a masterpiece to me because I really just enjoyed every scene of him recovering and the slow build to him being able to walk. Like you couldn't have him not able to move in a grave with a, all he could do is like put his hand on the water canteen and then five minutes later have him walking back to the place where he came from. Like it just would not have made any sense. So in terms of that part of the film being really long and and lengthy, I understood that. And I I feel like the story between uh, the native Americans and, and the, the, white americans uh, the people who were going over there trying to take over the land they were trying to sell the pelts they were trying to have all these different things that uh aren't exactly one goal in mind like there's a lot of different ideologies and philosophies happening here with all the different groups and i i just feel like I was interested 100% the entire way through, and I was able to get involved with the entire story. The score, I thought, was really well done. Uh, a lot of the shots in this film are beautiful. And the three major scenes, the opening scene, which I really did love, and you guys thought was really made up and was felt very fake, I enjoyed it. I mean, I mean one of the best ever uses of the arrow going through someone's neck is Toshihira Mifune uh, in Throne of Blood, yep. and obviously we've come a long way with with CGI and we get those those great scenes. But I mean, when you see an arrow go through somebody's eye and it actually looks somewhat authentic, I mean I feel like I personally cannot say that I didn't like that. Like <laughs> I thought it was really cool. Hmm. And the bear scene was fabulous. I, I I can understand why somebody didn't love that it was just one take and, and going through that, but I I thought that that made it felt so much more authentic to me personally Good. can i
0: just talk about something that hugh glass's character does when he gets mauled by the bear he decides to to ready his rifle and then shoot that bear and i'm just like look i have never i probably never what happens when you fight nature I, i've never like really camped outside in the wilderness but i've played a shit ton of video games and you don't shoot a bear unless you know you can fucking kill it with more than one shot, okay? Fuck you, man. You deserve to get mauled again.
1: I yeah, I, just yeah. lay prone. I, I have to say, I'm I'm not that I'm glad he did, but man, if that would have been the only part of the bear <laughs> attack is when he first gets like I was yeah, like, there's like a, two stages. A, a little attack. bit underwhelmed the first time because yeah. I was like, Oh, that was it. Oh, that round two. It.
2: Yeah, round two was a little a little little more evolved. <laughs> i I'll, I'll give the bear scene credit for one thing, which is I do like that the bear the, the the entire sequence from start to finish, has this ebb and flow of, like, of it's not just a bear attack. Like, I like how the bear gets curious, and then he gets, like... What are you... I'm, I'm
0: sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm just thinking of something. Um yeah, what is that? Okay. Dear, dear listener, this like I just thought of the whole round round two thing. Could you please somebody like make when this comes out on video, like make a YouTube clip where you just put like a bloodborne like like boss health bar at the bottom for the bear? <laughs> please, I would love that shit. Just
2: just crank that shit up. That would be something yeah. uh But I did enjoy the staging of it in the sense that I like that like the, I would say, the, like, it, 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 after the initial attack, like, there's, there's so many different stages as to, like, first he gets bored almost because he kind of just lays on him, and then he gets curious because he starts pawing, and then it's kind of, like, he gets distracted because he goes back over to his other, you know, whatever. So I, I did like that, and it, it wasn't just, like, this bear, for some reason, hates Leo DiCaprio, and, with, you know, like, because that would have felt even more artificial whatever yeah. Um It was just that, I guess, I will admit, maybe part of it's that I saw the, Thing in the trailer, so I'd already and everybody just talks about the fact that there's a bear scene and was Leo raped by a bear is uh, was a weird question that actually <laughs> like circulated after some of the he behind the scenes. He actually kind of got mounted by the bear. Yeah, that's what that's what we heard. Um, uh, so just kind of like I think all of that kind of overshadowed the bear scene itself. Where like if I hadn't seen the <laughs> shot in the trailer of like Leo looking behind him and seeing a bear just completely go after him, I might have been completely taken over by that scene because I wouldn't have known that it was happening. Happening. Um but yeah, no, I, I appreciated the staging of it at least.
1: Well, and I, I think that was another thing about this film is it is definitely a man versus nature story for the most part throughout the film, which I enjoyed that part of it. Um the thing that I i grab gravitated towards so much throughout this film was that Leo and Hugh Glass, pardon me, Leo's playing him, uh is is using But in a way
2: he was Hugh Glass, because he ate that liver. He came. <laughs> this was Hugh actually.
1: Glass. Actually, and I absolutely love Leo in this film, and if he wins the Oscar, he deserves it, in my opinion, even though I don't think this is his best role he's ever done. No. But I think this would definitely be somewhere, and I know, Nikki, we're not as huge of a fan of this film at all, but it's not, not quite as much of it. But when Martin Scorsese won for best director for uh, The Departed, like, I really like The Departed, but if it's not this his best. What does he work. have to do? Well, yeah, it, he has it, to yeah. star an
0: American Horror Story in order to get. Oh God, it. wouldn't that be great?
1: <laughs> but I, I think it would. It will be deserved if he ends up winning for best actor at the Academy. I will admit, this year.
2: I was not enamored with his That's performance okay. because, mm-hmm. like the camera work, it did feel like put somebody, upon. yeah, put upon and like acting and maybe because it's just Art so Street. many grunts and so many like I now have to act without being able to speak and, and I'm not saying that like, <laughs> I almost would have gotten more sucked into it if it was a no name actor which I know probably people would think that's crazy because like you, if you need a high caliber actor for this but I don't think you do I think it would have been like I, I would have gotten more sucked into it if I didn't think of it like Leo's never won an Oscar like every five minutes <laughs> and then like this is the response to Leo's never won an Oscar Is this
0: the part where he'll win the Oscar when he has to cut the horse open yeah. and use it as like a like a one-time snuggie. Yeah, yeah I don't Tom think
1: Tom. I don't think I don't think anyone could watch that scene and not think of uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. What?
2: Even I me who is not a Star Wars fan. <laughs> but that using that part of
1: that scene uh is is Leo as he is and Hugh Glass the character in terms of being resourceful. I think that is something that was very important for this film for me and and also for the story is that we find out early on that he's a very smart in terms of living with the land and, and knowing, sort of like having a mental map of, of where to go and where things are and, and making decisions and being able to um, be resourceful and, and use things that are in nature. And that's very important for this film as he's able to to live basically and he you see he has the bear the, the bear fur. After the bear that he kills, he then has the bear fur, which keeps him warm in very important scenes when he was and the way he could move. His thirst for revenge turns him into an animal. That was not where I was going, but that's okay. Sorry. Um, that was really good. I actually really enjoyed that. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> I didn't laugh, but I laughed internally. But but sleeping inside the horse and, and staying warm inside that was was was, a, was a, I thought a pretty cool scene, and also gave us beautiful blood on snow, which uh, for some reason I just always think it looks great. And, Kill Bill. Yeah. I, I, Lady Snowblood. Mm. I just absolutely loved almost everything this film was doing, and I was a huge fan of it, and I'm not going to see it again in the theater, I don't think, because I don't think I need to spend two hours and 40 minutes in the theater again. So I had a very interesting theater experience the first time I'll see it, and it was bad enough in, that I don't even want to bring up like the terms that were used by people in the theater on the podcast, which is that bad. Yeah. There,
0: there was a, where, a review that I actually perused uh, that got linked to me, where somebody was so overcome by their experience of watching *The Revenant* that they said that the only appropriate way to really take in this film was to watch it in a temple. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's 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 linger that, on. Let's, that, let's, I'm let's, not gonna let's, linger on let's, that.
2: Let's linger on that because on that <laughs> you don't want to hear me linger on that. <laughs> now no, that that's pretentious. Yeah, it is. That it's really pretentious. Is pretentious. Well, well, monkey see, monkey do.
1: <laughs>
2: oh goddamn! Ah. <laughs> High five. Wow. You guys are so cool. Aren't we? <laughs> um, I'll say another thing about this movie is that um, when, when I was listening to you talk about it, um, I think if I can narrow down to why I have a problem with certain aspects, it's because uh, this is a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and a lot of that time is devoted to Leo crawling. <laughs> um, I'm, just, I'm making a joke, but no, it's devoted to Leo's, like, Trek, trek back, yeah. right? Okay, um, If there was less time devoted, and I know you probably disagree, but like as far as, like, even if you take it at a two-and-a-half-hour running time, but if it was less proportion and, like, that was a little less, and we actually got more out of, like, the Fur Pelters story, and even, like, what they were doing back at that kind of civilization, because I actually, those, those are some of my favorite locations. I know Lubeski loves and... Two was all about nature and the, whatever but like the whole like having this wall like that walls off uh, that their little civilization mm-hmm. uh, to nature which I thought was actually kind of interesting because I don't think I've seen that quite in that level of scale and whatnot in a movie uh, for a while at least yeah um if it was more about, like, what they were doing back there and, like, Tom Hall Gleason's character maybe wrestling with the idea, like, more so than just the obligatory one scene cut back. Oh, he's dead. Okay, good. Whatever. I don't know. Like, if we just got more from the sorting, supporting players or less at the same time, like, I just think this needed to go all, all, all in on something. And I know that sounds crazy for someone who's saying, like... <laughs> I was bored by it and I don't want to see more of Leonardo DiCaprio. I might be more willing to go along this journey if I felt like I was in his journey, but because we do cut every so often to the fur pelters or to the whatever then they become random unfleshed out uh, detours Mm. Uh, and then they also interrupt the momentum of Leo's journey because then I just like it it starts to seem episodic which is not what
1: either exist
0: or don't exist Uh,
2: yes
1: but I feel like uh, those scenes are important because a he gets rescued by uh, his original company and B the the importance of Tom Hardy's character is paramount in this story. Like it is with-
2: important, and yet it also doesn't even like go back to him as much as I think as it should. Like he, it only goes back to him for an enough cumulative time to establish him as the antagonist it doesn't actually go f- i would say further as or at least far as far as i would hope to actually kind of like give him his due because i actually as much as i totally am on board with like a i like his performance and b i like he's definitely the clear antagonist i would have really appreciated a more clear-cut like is he the antagonist or is he just like like now, of course, when he makes the decision to kill his whatever he calls his son, I just kind of wish that there was even more, maybe moral gray area. It would have been kind of interesting if Hugh Glass was going after him to commit revenge for something that maybe Hugh Glass would have did to him. If something. he
0: wasn't so aggressively a dick.
2: Yeah, like, it, it, it's like, I don't care what he says, but like, you know, like the whole, like, I kill your son, and now I'm going to bury you, blink if you're whatever. Like, I, if it played out a little bit differently, where we could have actually seen that he was just trying to like think logistically, I thought it would have made the whole revenge storyline a little more interesting because then I'd be like, wow, is this even worth it? Like, the struggle to survive to go and kill this guy that killed your son. But because that initial scene, um, although I do actually like the conversation of uh, Blink, because I love that that actually for me, because Tom Hardy's character continually references uh, religion, um, I actually do think that his character in that scene when he's telling him to blink is at least lying to himself. Like, he's not, like, doing that to be an asshole or something like that where he's just, like, like he's just saying it out loud to cover his bases, but he actually believes in his head that this stupid, shitty system of, like, whether he should kill him or not is somehow valid, and I kind of like that scene, uh, but it never really, I would say, would went down a, a depth of a corridor that I, I would have wished they would have explored with regards to his faith faith, and, you know, cause, he, cause he's the kind of person who says the exact same thing that Leo says about how, Oh, well that's a God's hand. I don't get to do that. And so I love that kind of hypocrisy cause I felt like that was intended. Um, I, I just wished I would have got more out of these supporting characters cause as of right now, they just feel like one note characters that distract from the other, obviously more, I would say pressing storyline. Hmm yeah yeah i
1: i guess i have, I have a hard time really having a discussion with you guys because i completely disagree with most yeah. for mostly what you guys are saying and is, that's okay yeah, yeah it is yeah. And, and and that's okay i i think this is weird because usually me and nick for the most part somewhat disagree on most films we see we don't have that many films that we like are 100 percent in the same agreement on yeah but this is the first film in i think a little over a year that we've been like on opposite ends of the spectrum, completely on. Yeah. The last mm-hmm. film I remember that was this far between of where we are on a thought process. do you say it? Uh, I was going to say Only Lovers yep. Left Alive. Motherfucker. Yeah. Because Mother yeah.
0: that Would is you, a great movie. That's a sore spot on this podcast.
2: <laughs> well, it's not a sore spot. It was just a terrible movie, and Nick no. was really good. It's a very good movie. That is. That's actually a movie that has characters. That you is see what am saying. Story it, to tell. That is an opinion, and it doesn't. Uh, just don't. like,
1: but just like me, <laughs> don't thinking, get them started. Just like me, he's thinking, getting me started. Just like me thinking the Revenant is a fabulous film, and you thinking it's terrible is right the total polar opposite of Only Lovers Left Alive.
0: So, Re- listener, uh, next time we have our poll, uh, please don't write in Only Lovers Left Alive. You know
2: what? Speaking of Only Lovers Left Alive, <laughs> Jim Jarmusch made a western, uh, called Dead Man with Johnny Depp, and that the. the uh this is actually kind I've of i mean to watch that it's a great movie yeah. uh this does a lot of a similar thing because it's johnny depp's character is not balled by a bear or left for dead but it's called dead man because he's essentially a dead man walking because uh he leaves his civilization like western town and the whole movie is really just him walking through nature in a very surreal surrealistic almost solopsistic whatever uh yeah that's the right word yeah like way and anyway and him also befriending uh, Native Americans and all that um, I'm just kind of noticing all the connections there but that movie was way more poetic without actually being uh, self-important <laughs> um,
1: something I'll definitely say for this film uh, is that one of the elements that I absolutely loved is they talked about the score and the, the visual aspect of it and the in the story, uh, the sound design I thought was really terrific in this film. Uh, almost when you hear like the crashing waves or the, the the background sound effects of like the avalanche happening, I thought the sound in this film was sneaky terrific. Uh, one part of it that I absolutely loved was when characters were talking off-screen. When you're seeing it in the theater, you're almost hearing them talking in the back of the speaker. And you're, you're, you're knowing that they're talking off-screen, but it sounds like they're talking behind you, which was actually, I thought, really great. And something that I, I, I think the only thing I'll say that, other than the visual and like epic aspect and view of the, of the uh, visual shots of this film, it was really important for a theater viewing. Was the scene when uh, John Fitzgerald and dom hal Gleason's character are are talking uh, back at the fort and uh, he goes up towards upstairs to get his money uh, from the safe, which is how Fitzgerald finds out where the safe is and we have this just terrific use of sound as we see Dom Hall Gleason walk up and you can actually hear his footsteps on the left side of your ear as he walks up the stairs and it, he walks behind you and, and you can almost hear like he 's actually in the movie theater with you
2: and i just thought that was absolutely amazing yeah i will say uh, considering all the <clears throat> negatives i've said about this or that i think the fact that i barely remember the sound design means that it was good because it didn't stand out as like a you know something for me to latch on to uh passionately yeah um so but i the scene in question that you're talking about i actually do agree because i remember uh either that scene or maybe another scene that also took place in that like compound there was a scene where like people were talking even as like and we were hearing that conversation even as we went to another room which i thought was an interesting use of space
0: another shot that i really enjoyed from that particular scene when donald gleason went up the stairs like when it lingered on an over shoulder shot of Fitzgerald, and there was kind of like the the light that was streaming for the window, I thought that was a particularly well-composed shot.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think there were a lot of, of really great, well-composed shots in this film, even if you guys aren't really as big on the cinematography here as I was. No, I thought
0: the shots were good. I just thought that the way that they were yeah. were introduced to one another... It's, like it's hard and... to
2: look at anything and not think that it should be hung up on a wall somewhere, but that doesn't, for me at least, inherently mean that it did its job, because sometimes things don't need to look that good or like sometimes yeah. they do sometimes they don't. But so that's the way I mean it was sequenced as, or edited or that's how it's not of, edited. I can appreciate it. And yet also don't feel like it's the perfect fit at all times. Yeah. Okay.
1: Very good. Well, uh, we don't have, I don't think too much more to discuss cause we're on such opposite wavelengths, And I think we've all given our opinions here and, yeah. Um, I guess we'll we go all to also love each other. Yeah. No. That, that's good. We didn't get into very like shouting matches, honestly. No, So no. that's good. Yeah. Um, for that,
0: you'll have to listen to our uh what what is our our episode for that? It's uh Whiplash.
1: Oh. Yeah. yeah. We weren't No, because all that's three of throw, us were together. That's a throwback. <laughs> it was just yeah. it was if just Kenny we who was oh, also really liked the film but had a couple different reasons Yeah. For it it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so we'll guess we'll go to ratings uh and to kind of keep with the usual, when uh, someone is the one person who has a different opinion, usually the popular opinion goes last. So I will go first, okay. uh, giving my rating. Which, uh, I, as I already mentioned, I thought this was an absolute terrific film, and I would even call it a masterpiece. And I know you guys are afraid to hand these out, but I am not, oh, I'm not uh, afraid I'm, to hand about. I sometimes you guys are, which is uh, totally fine. Uh, okay. I I I will fully admit I usually uh, my ratings are little bit of a different system than i think your guys are yeah uh because i usually hand out two or three perfect scores a year and this is my third perfect score of 2015 hmm. so i absolutely love this film okay. there were so many moments in this film that i was just loving it and loving what this film was going for um sort of the taking you into account that that this the creators of this film wanted to go like the the extra mile to try to make this film feel as authentic as it could be in terms of the landscape uh, and a lot of the sort of the uh, costuming and the that, that kind of design of the film i think it was a total home run uh and the story of this film i was able to get on board with too with this this struggle between man versus nature and also uh, the interesting story between the, the, the white american man and the native americans this sort of bizarre relationship that they have happening in the 1820s, that there's an absolutely terrible time period to be alive. Absolutely. We, like for everyone involved. Yeah, there, no one's a winner at this time period. It's, <laughs> it's just, Except it's, for the bear. Well, well, you know, the bear dies too, and his yeah. children are left to fend for themselves. boo was way. just
0: trying to protect <laughs> his cub.
1: But this is a just terrible time period, and we just see the struggle for everybody involved. Like, no one's a winner here. You even get the very... I thought, and you know, it was kind of a little bit out of place because we don't get that much character development with Tom Gleason. but We get the the mention of him talking about how he is forgetting what his wife's face looks like. And he cannot remember what Damn, dude. she looks like. And then, Oh he, shit, he's dead. Like a minute later. And it's, it's unfortunate. Like, like that is uh, unfortunately how I imagine the 1820s. Like, there there are no redeeming qualities at this time. Like a total struggle going f- in this time in this country's history, and I think it was well shown and documented in this film. And also the and the ending sort of bizarre message, which I totally was on board for. Of of. Seeking life importance and, and having something to live for in your life is what brings Leo back. And his whole reason to, of survival in living was to commit this one action of, of getting his revenge against John Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. And when he basically does, because he fucks him up real bad. Like, mm. let's, let's call it, what it is. Like, yeah, he doesn't the one who, like, ends his life. But he fucks that man's life he up. Have,
0: he should have cut his Achilles tendon. He should have done it so he couldn't crawl or walk
1: away. Well, whatever it is, he even though he doesn't kill him, he leaves him for dead, pushing him into a fucking river. I mean, yeah, he kills him. Let's call it what it is. But I think that moment is very interesting because he comes to the end of his life for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, what for me, what the message of the film ended up being, and it was kind of a weird message that is not positive at all, is that once you've achieved your ultimate goal where are you going to go from here? Like, there's nowhere to go in this life.
0: That kind of recontextualizes, like, my feelings about the last shot when you talk about it like that, because it's really the reason why he's, like, looking into the camera is really he's trying to search for the search the void in order to find what is his next purpose. Uh, and, what and, purposes, and that's why I
1: couldn't completely hate that part because that was one of the few parts of the film that I actually kind of didn't care for was looking into the camera. Mm. And I'm usually one person who... Does not have as much of a problem of people having a shot of them looking into the camera as some other people do. <laughs> um, one of my favorite shots ever of Boardwalk Empire is when Nucky Thompson is and en- almost ending an episode with his head tilted looking into the camera because oh, yeah. I
2: thought it had a really good effect to it. My favorite movie of all time ends with the character looking into the camera, so which is Magnolia. Oh, okay.
0: President <laughs> so... Frank Underwood looks into the camera and but, is like, "You thought I forgot about but you, in, didn't in, you?" In a
1: good context, I think that that sort of shot works really can work really well. And in this film, I thought it was kind of weird, but at the same time, I think the ending message and the ending sort of triumph of this film for Hugh glass is really bittersweet because yeah, he's kind of happy that he gets it, but he can't really get the satisfaction out of that. He really thought he was going to get because there is no satisfaction to be had, unfortunately for him. And I just thought it was a very fascinating Mm -hmm. look, at life in that time, and just uh, in general, the human experience in the early 1800s, which was just really hard to be. So it's a five out of five for me. I absolutely love The Red Revenant. And even if you don't like it, and you may not like it, I think everyone should at least give this film a try, just because I think everyone would have an opinion on what this film is. So I will move it on to Tucson okay. Or Nick, which whoever wants, I wants go to I want to go next.
0: Um just going back to something that you mentioned in your your final comments about the gravity of like the final scene with Donald Gleeson when he says they can't like picture his wife's like face and then he dies like I'm just going to put another Chuck mark on the scoreboard of Fitzgerald is a total fuck boy sorry I used that but like that's that's the only way I can actually label this he killed an officer he killed killed like a like a like a major character and what does he decide to do? When he's about to go into the army, he decides to scalp this man, not because he wanted his scalp, but in order to divert blame and attention yeah. to the Native Americans. I'm so glad he died. <laughs> I'm so happy because if it didn't happen,
1: if it didn't happen, I was just like, oh, that's you know what? That's uh, no. I actually haven't thought about this, but thinking about it more now, I think that would be another reason why Leo is not able to kill him in the final scene. Cause I feel like giving the audience, cause I think a lot of people would have the same Segar, of yeah, one. of happiness of him killing him. Like him, like having the final stab to the throat and being like, yeah, fuck him. Yeah. Fuck Tom Hardy. Yeah. Like, I feel like not giving the audience that satisfaction is kind of important to what the film was trying to say. At least smash in- his body against some rocks though. I love that shit.
0: Anyway, yeah. Um, I think that um, personally, just like hearing like your very glowing score and our like more you know middle of the road score, so to speak. That's, I don't, being, don't that's, you, be, that's <laughs> being that's being charitable. I'm trying to be charitable right now. Okay, I don't think Nick's you, gonna have a middle of the road score. I think you can be but, charitable. All I you think want. that the disparity between our interpretations of this film only they only draw attention to the merit of. Watching this film and deciding for yourself, I think that really you shouldn't like take this as 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 any like type of uh, film criticism, whatever. You shouldn't take anyone's opinion as the authoritative opinion, even if you're you happen to be the thought father of modern film criticism, like Roger Ebert or something like that. Right? Um, really, it's it's up to the 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 viewer to decide like what kinds of uses and gratifications they get out of the media that they consume and what are they willing to tolerate and what actually speaks to their own gratifications as a viewer. Personally, it did not really gel with me together. It did not gel for Nick and I can totally respect where you're coming from, Alex, when you're talking about it because you know, like maybe looking at your, your context on it is like, yeah, it's like I I could see how you could look at this and see it's a good film, but it just didn't really work for me. Um, I think that, I, I came out of the, the film and I only just saw it today actually. Um I came out of the film with probably a more glowing uh, rating than I than I I have now. So I think I'm just gonna bump it down a little bit. I'm gonna give it a two and a half out of five. Okay. Just because like that's the lowest score that I give anything that I find tolerable. So okay. yeah, that's my that's my take from it. Pass it on to you, Nick.
2: Well, um, it should be pretty clear that I was not a fan. Yeah, um, we know, and that doesn't mean anything about any person here, because I feel like now I have no, to clarify after Tucson gave that. Like, I I hope I wasn't coming across that like if I say something against a film, it means I say something against the people who disagree with me or anything like that, because I've never, I don't ever try to be that person. Um, You're never that person. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, yeah, I I, I could not stand this film. Um, I think if I just put it up there as far as, like, (laughs) my main problem with this movie is, like if i put all the bullshit aside is whether it's self-important or whether it's uh whether it even warrants historical um uh, you know revisionism or not revision whatever like I, I was just bored for two hours like and i'm not easily bored like i watch bad movies or whatever like i, I think that aren't even my cup of tea i still watch because i like to like either a have an opinion on them or B just sometimes I like to see like bad movies to see what not to do as much as I like to see what to
0: do. Your favorite subject matter, as you said before is decidedly uncinematic things happening in a, in a one room setting. So like,
2: (laughs) so because of course this is certainly outside of that realm. It has a lot to do as far as like, if I'm going to connect to it uh, that's just a personal thing. Um, And because I feel like it did absolutely nothing or whatever it tried to do it didn't land for me um in that respect that's, that's mostly why I, I if it stopped trying to be a movie and it just got to the heart of this actual story, and some of these characters I probably Because I know it's based on a book, and I don't know I haven't read the book and um uh, I haven't read any book even though I'm a librarian <laughs> um and it's like if it if it actually like i don't know if anything got lost in translation from one property to another or if you or if even Inoritu even really adapted the book like very thoroughly, if maybe he just was. Maybe it's just an adaptation by means of inspiration or something like that. That could very well be. Um, But I I almost am now intrigued to read the book because I want to know, is there more of like... Because, for example, if you have a character who can't speak, then you know, does the book employ internal monologues or something like that, which I think could be interesting. Uh, But I think that's the thing, is that just like the character of Hugh Glass, I I couldn't really get into his headspace because he's only defined by... External factors and things I already understand by watching the trailer, which is his his need to survive, like, because that doesn't feel like a very character-specific trait, and it just feels like, uh, you know, not a trope, but, like, a theme, uh, come to life as a character it's just something that doesn't really connect with me and um I, I didn't need as many shots of leonardo dicaprio fogging up the camera by breathing just to make it seem more realistic but also all that ever did was show me that there's a camera there watching leonardo dicaprio like i think it's little moments like that if not that very moment that pretty much is, it stills up why i couldn't get into this film because that every time it tried to be uh, shall we say, like emotionally authentic or whatever? Uh, it only reminded me that there was a camera there watching this unfold, uh, and so that's why for me, I'm gonna give this one star out of five stars. It's like I can appreciate the technical mastery that would have to come together to to make some of these images, but whether these images are worthwhile, I, I'm so far unless I watch it again, which won't happen for a while, I'm <laughs> just, it's just a decidedly no for me. I don't mean
0: to. Uh take the air of definite of like gravity behind your your final rating like yeah. out but i just thought of something when he's breathing into the camera it's like wouldn't it be awesome if like the the another shot just kind of like panned around and it showed the actual cameraman and it turns out it was the flying turtle guy from super
1: mario 64 what (laughs) that would have been a departure from what the film was that would have been amazing it would have been maybe somebody should make that that would have been a
2: five-star film, like the uh the current viral (laughs) video makes
1: sense
2: like the current viral video of uh bb-8 and uh what's her name ray walking up a sand dune and then like they photoshopped to uh uh, football players coming and one kicking. <laughs> yes, NBA I love that. I and, and they go go. Yeah, and like, just like looking at us with my chest bumping as Ray just keeps walking. Like, <laughs> oh <anyway. my> God. <sighs> um,
1: I, I I think you guys, your Nick, you mentioned that you liked it. I didn't even get. It. I didn't even. I don't think I mentioned it. But the final fight scene between Hugh Glass and John Fitzgerald was absolutely fabulous and like it was one of the very few scenes that like actually my like my heart was like pounding mm-hmm. during when I watched it cuz just to not really know how it's going to play out even knowing how it kind of was going to yeah. and after you get the like the actual like moment where he stabs him in the chest and then he pushes off, or Fitzgerald pushes Hugh off and stabs him in the hand with the knife again. And then we have the camera pan to the left and you see just this pool of blood in the snow. It was just... stabs him in the
0: gut and then, like, lifts up into the sternum. Yeah.
1: It was just amazing. And, you know what? This is, like, four straight films where we get a great Tom Hardy... Fuck! It was amazing. I don't think it says... I mean, like, let's rank the Fox. Well, Locke is a definitive number one.
0: I mean, that's the, the progenitor behind this entire, like...
1: Thing. Yeah. he has one of them in legend mm. uh he definitely has one in the drop for okay. sure yeah. and then this film as well mm. it wasn't as pronounced in this film but it was there for you fuck <laughs> it was loud yeah. it was good yeah. i liked it yeah it's become a trait i like it yeah unlike the silly t-shirt of him choking alejandro and arutu have you seen that what? oh man Apparently he was not a fan of Inaruto uh, on on the set. And he, I could understand did he wear that a shirt
0: of himself? No, choking Inaruto. He
1: has a he has a shirt, and I don't know if this is, shirt is like available for sale. But there's a photo of him choking inarutu and someone made a shirt of it of Tom Hardy, and he wore the shirt when he was doing some promotional things for this. It, it's, is it like
0: a stick figure choking another stick no, figure? It's but then it has like it's a, like a photo of them. Yeah, of because uh, there a was
1: photo. a photo of him choking him, and uh, there's
2: now I, a T-shirt of it. I that didn't Tom know Hardy about has. that, or because I haven't read too much. About the production, other than that, it was very difficult for yeah. everybody involved. Uh, but that doesn't really surprise me at all, considering his, he's got a reputation. His, well, that, but also his performance in this movie is the one that sticks out as like something that I don't think Inuyu mm-hmm. had full control over, which is kind of why I liked it because mm-hmm. it was something outside of Inuyu's handprint. If so that to was speak.
0: like a, a kitschy little like promotional, like ha ha, we're having fun, and like then I was like, oh okay, that's that's kind of weird. But if it was like a real thing, it was like, bruh, you need to. F- fall the fuck back. You ne- I know you're totally into this right now, but you do not need a Christian Bale moment, okay? Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, didn't he say something about George Miller too at some point?
1: Yeah, Tom Hardy is not doesn't really have a history
2: of being easy like to work with. like he's kind of hardy to work with.
1: Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> but Inarutu has a kind of a weird David Fincher type um reputation of being kind of a total ass face. Uh, yeah. So, uh,
2: yeah. But at least David Fincher in interviews doesn't, yeah. <laughs> I won't go down that road. I know you were the, not a fan. The podcast is winding down. Yeah. Right? I don't want to wind it back we, up. We
1: talked yeah. about the Golden Globes. And Next the Re- episode. The Revenant was was really the big winner at the Golden yeah. Globes. It one Best Drama Motion Picture, Best Actor in a Dramatic Film, and Best Director, which was actually a surprise for me. I was actually kind of,
2: I, I was... Oh, I'm sure I figured...
1: Now, uh, he had a very interesting speech that I know, Nick, you were not a fan of.
2: Well, I just love that he said the line something like, every film is difficult to make and it's like no 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 no, no. you made this film difficult to make not every film is I'm not saying that like films are just so easy to throw together mm-hmm. but like just the irony that him of all people would say something like oh no we're all of this together we all do this kind of you, thing you could have just day.
0: said like every film is a labor of collaboration or right, something or like something, that like, yeah. but
2: like you know you didn't need a uh, liver or you know all this kind of stuff that you what said you needed in countless interviews to, to get yeah. at uh, the truth which when you just say that kind of bland, like, well, this is all in service of the truth and the art or whatever, it's, then I feel like you actually, yeah.
1: It's funny that Leonardo DiCaprio is is here in this film and is the, the main character because... He's here in this room. Well, At first I was like, well, you no, haven't said no, anything that, that he's here. He's right. entire time. <laughs> Listen, we're going
2: to get to you next week, okay, yeah. buddy? <laughs> we
1: decided to hey, say. shut up! We, we decided to take a pass because, you know, we had him here. and we, we my
2: Oh my
1: god. Oh my <laughs> god. White uh, cake. No, uh, <laughs> sorry, mix a movie. That's okay. White cake when, in the uh, dining hall. I, I, I and I know that they really had to because of the, the melting snow, but the the majesty and the largeness of moving an entire production from Canada to southern Argentina for a film <laughs> in the middle fucker. of shooting. Uh, I just could not help when I heard that, thinking of uh, the aviator and Howard Hughes' obsession with having shots with clouds and moving the entire production to Oakland, with the where there are clouds there, yeah. and it's Leonardo DiCaprio playing in that. But yeah. like, it, it's that eccentric behavior that is just totally outlandish and in, in in this Some, modern yeah. modern landscape where you have a. A film that was supposed to be made for sixty million dollars that ends up getting its budget ballooned to one hundred and eighty five. You're like, yeah. you, like, like it's the total opposite of Spectre, where we're
2: like, where did the money go? Everyone knows exactly where the money went. Oh this no, we film. know where it went. And I gotta say that, like, as much as I make fun of Inarito, some of my favorite all time favorite directors are extremely meticulous. Whether it be like Wes Anderson or whatever. Just the difference is, I don't think people like Wes Anderson or David Fincher, for the most part. I'm not saying always, but for the most part, do it at the expense of like living conditions and like actual practicality uh like you know there's a difference between wanting this carpet be a certain shade of this color and like no if we don't shoot this scene and this whatever and crew members like freeze their ass off like because i'm just saying like there's a difference yeah i'm trying to that kind of of
1: someone to and i'm not comparing their directorial content in any way shape or form but in terms of Pushing things to a uncomfortable level. I would, someone's been brought up on this episode already, but I would try to compare a little bit to David Lynch in terms of yeah. that weird sort of pushing things yeah. a, in a different way to getting a different sort of outcome that yeah, people t- look at and go, What the fuck are you doing? And he has an idea of what he wants to do. Right. Not like comparing their content. No, 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 for sure. But like the scene in Mulholland we'll
2: Drive between uh, Naomi Watts and uh, Laura Flynn. No. What's her name? Laura Harding, I think. Okay. Her. Laura, yeah. Um, uh, they're, The lesbian sex between the two of them was decidedly different on the day of shooting and him directing what to do than what they thought they were getting into. And to the point where, like, Naomi Watts, I believe I was, because I thought I... Re- saw a thing of her inside the actor's studio with, what's his name, uh, James Linton, uh, uh, saying like, that she was like crying on set because she did not sign up for it, so to speak.
0: And, I, I really wanted to, yeah. I didn't want to pull the trigger on this joke. I wanted to do it on the Mulholland Drive episode. And Naomi's just like, David, I really don't want to do this. It's like, Naomi, I need you to do this, okay? Now come over and give Daddy a kiss. <laughs> what? that 's what joke? she was like that, that she was
2: totally like oh, that, yeah, I see yeah that is interesting, <laughs> yeah, bringing this episode to a close uh, yeah what what a way to go out <laughs> what a way to go out, <laughs> what a
1: way to end, two thousand and fifteen, guys, way to go well we 're not completely done, we lied a little bit because we 're not completely done with two thousand and fifteen because next week 's episode is going to be a two part episode, woo, we'll release the first part on one day and the second part a few days later. But we're going to do a two-part episode, the first being our top six uh, favorite films of 2015. Oh, yeah. Uh, That'll be the first part of episode 48, with the second part being are uh, um, a a 12 uh, part it uh, will have 12 different categories. Are we doing 12 or 10? We're going to do 12 because oh. I, I thought of two more that I wanted Let's really wanted to include cool. during the episode. So we're going to have uh, our 12 favorites of something. So something we thought 12 of the best of, worst of, favorites, yeah. something like that. So it'll be some categories that are serious, like you know best male performance or something like that, or best female performance, and then maybe some fun categories like... I don't know, most overrated film. I don't know what those could be. (laughs) (laughs) What could Um, it be? (laughs) Uh, So look for that as those uh, two parts of those episodes will be coming out uh, as episode 48. And then we'll be... Into 2016, and uh, we've got some good things planned already to yeah. do to start off the year. So, look forward to that. So, from Nick Cheney to Son Egan and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we will catch up with you next time. <laughs>